since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Tuesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street. I'm the host of the program. My name is JJ Jackson. And joining me on the show today, I've got Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. A busy show. A huge show planned for you today as we've got multiple guests joining us for the fun. Ben Ingram, the play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, will join us at 3.30 at 4.15. Jason Reed will join our show. He has got a new book coming out. It's titled The Rise of the Black Quarterbacks What It Means for America. The book is available today. We talk with him at 4.15. 4.30, our buddy Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be on the program. And then at 5.15 we close out the show talking baseball with the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers, Butch Thompson. Meanwhile, we'll have our birthdays in sports. We will have a nightly TV guide. We have got a ton going on here on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show today. Again, J.J. Jackson alongside Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. I hope they're ready for a fun show today because I certainly am as the world continues to move forward in sports. Today is Major League Baseball's trade deadline. Tons of action happening so far. Auburn men's basketball won their first game in the Israel Tour earlier today, 117-56. to 56. 20 points and 8 rebounds for freshman Yoan Treor and a big day for other Tigers as well. So tons to discuss here on Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm doing well and kind of... uh again give you a lot of credit JJ because you're the one that sets up all these interviews so when we have a loaded show and people out there say wow how'd they get all these cool guests you got a little bit of, uh, of everything that's for everyone's knowledge that's JJ going to work behind the scenes so just want to give you, Thank you uh, your props there for, for getting all that set up uh, excited about those conversations today and uh, excited to be on the show and as you mentioned MLB trade deadline is obviously a, a huge thing the Braves may Made some moves last night. It seems like they are probably done as we approach the last couple hours here of the trade deadline, but there has been a lot of movement. Look, some trade deadlines, maybe a couple deals get done beforehand. There's some relief pitchers changing hands, and it, it, it's not really something that alters the course of a play. Well, we saw last year the Braves acquired guys that helped them win a World Series, and today we're seeing huge trades uh significant players 
one of I, I mean I, I'd have to go back and read commentary it is very possible that there's never been a better player traded on the trade deadline than today when Juan Soto was traded Juan Soto is one of the three or four young faces of the game he's a part of the group of under 25 guys with Ronald Acuna Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. that are going to one day vie for the best player in the game if they're not already close to doing so now and he's now a San Diego Padre and that is is a uh, potentially altering sequence not if not for this year maybe in future years because this is not a one-year rental this is not a 32 year old player that is about to leave his prime this is a young guy with uh, i believe two more years of team control before he's going to get his big payday so he's got two and a half years in a padres uniform and again pairing with one of the other great young under 25 players in Fernando Tatis Jr., who's missed most of this season. You've also got an, another all-star perennially that's a little bit older than Manny Machado on that team. Um, Josh Bell was in that trade. He's a 300 hitter this year. And so the Padres now have one of the most formidable lineups when healthy in all of baseball between those four. And uh, that is going to be exciting. So we're having a big trade deadline. The Mets made moves earlier this week. The Phillies are making moves today. As mentioned, the Braves made moves last night. Um, This is one of those trade deadlines that I think will be remembered. There's been a lot of activity, and it's exciting to see. The Braves did not play yesterday. They had an off day on Monday. They're at home right now, so they've got some games coming up tonight uh, from Truist Park there in Atlanta. But yet they made some moves late. I mean, it was late at night that all of a sudden folks are are trying to figure out, okay, who's joining the Braves and what players are we saying farewell to? Yeah, and if you want to recap that real quick, I mean, you look at a, a trade first, Robbie Grossman, uh, coming over, Grossman's a guy that overall has had a, a pretty bad season. He's only hitting about 204, 205. Only a couple home runs after a career year last year where he hit like 26 or 25. And so Grossman, the play there is trying to catch lightning in a bottle like the Braves did with some struggling guys last year. Now, some of those guys had better credentials in the totality of their career, such as Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler had had a 40 home run season not just simply like a 26 home run season. But nevertheless, those were guys that were injured slash struggling coming into the deadline last year. And then they end up being key parts of winning the World Series. I mean, we all know Rosario and the NLCS. We all know Solaire's home run that I think just now landed outside the state of Texas (laughs) in the World Series. And so those were moves made that at the time were kind of bets, betting on them to have better second halves. And I think that's what Grossman is. They're going to probably play him against lefties because he is a switch hitter. Uh, So I think you'll see some of that. Um, Maybe get Rosario days off as they don't want that lefty-lefty matchup. And so uh, that's one move that you know could end up being inconsequential he might not work out he might not play much but uh, it is something that maybe low risk higher reward for Grossman and then as far as I think what could be the more significant move trading for Jake Odorizzi uh, from the Houston Astros 
Odorizzi has had a pretty quality MLB career. I, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm just going off of pure, like you like you guys used to always do, test me with the numbers. Yeah. He's got, a, I think, a mid to high three career ERA. I, I know certainly this year his ERA is below four. Um, he pitched for the Rays for a good good while and was pretty good there. He, he's just always been like a quality number three to four pitcher in a rotation. Was hurt some of this year, but uh, has started – he's play, pitched three or four times since coming off the injury list, pitched pretty well. And, I and you know, just as big as what the Braves are, are getting, they are uh, trading Will Smith. And that's a guy that has been talked about for his three years. It was the end of his three-year contract this year with Atlanta. He got off to a really quality start this year, but the last 10 to 12 outings have been bad, and his ERA ballooned from high twos to low fours. And that's obviously a guy that Braves fans have been very kind of testy with um, for his tenure because he's had those ups and downs and has never quite been living up to the $14 million a year that he got. Although he is always going to be famous for the Braves because we cannot forget that he threw the final out of the World Series last year. And I know that that game was not close and that we kind of focused more on Tyler Matzik's hero- heroics during the postseason. But Will Smith had a really good postseason last year as well. And so he is going to the Houston Astros. So will the Braves have a six-man rotation? What will they do there? We'll talk more about that. But essentially, Odorizzi, Grossman, Earlier in the day, Ahiri Adrianza returning the Braves as a utility player. Robinson Cano DFA'd. I'll miss Robinson Cano, um, yeah. one of my favorite players. That's probably it for him in Major League Baseball. Um, but nevertheless, a, a more versatile uh, guy in Adrianza that Braves are familiar with. So three moves, nothing splashy, uh, but the ever-aggressive Alex Anthopoulos always trying to make the team better any way he can. A pretty remarkable career ERA for Jake Odorizzi, the newest Braves right-handed pitcher, again at 32 years old. His career ERA, 3.94 on the season 60 innings of work four and three record in the win-loss column and he's got a 3.75 earned run average and I walked away the same way last night honestly happy uh thoughts about Will Smith entirely like not a single negative thought towards Will Smith because Ryan as we've talked about what that World Series meant in 2021 for us as Braves fans as I have detailed very frequently I came into the world 10 days after the 1995 World Series just missed it to finally get one and to know that it was Will Smith who threw the final pitch for a ground ball to be hit to Dansby Swanson who fired it across the diamond for Freddie Freeman and the Braves secured their 27 outs in a game clinching World Series title like I'm always going to have really happy and positive thoughts about Will Smith who's been an all-star in his career like this is a, a good player uh, unfortunately things weren't going as well for him this season and so we'll, he'll see, we'll see what he could do in Houston the rest of the way but yeah always 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 going to have a special place for Will Smith in my heart Yeah, be, being high leverage bullpen guys you're always going to be walking a fine line of love and hate with the fan base I mean that's just the way it is. There's not many closers that can do it for a long period of time. I feel like with all, I think that the sentiment was with all these 
um, relievers and with the fact that starters don't go complete games anymore. I think the sentiment is that, you know, the records that some of the old closers like Trevor Hoffman, Mariano Rivera set are going to be easily surpassed, but it's not shaping up that way because it's such a difficult niche thing to have the gumption and the ability and the quality to throw a ninth inning in a close scenario and get those final three outs or the hardest three outs to get. And Will Smith certainly had a lot of tumultuous moments doing that, but he did have nearly 40 saves, I believe, uh, in 2021 and, again, was really good in the postseason. And, yeah, he never pitched quite as well as anyone wanted him to. Um, I, I certainly think – if I know you said you didn't think any negative thoughts. I certainly think of 2020 and uh, his home run to, against Will Smith right. of the Dodgers was a moment that people agonize over. Now, they don't have to anymore because the Braves win the next year. But if the Braves had not, that would have been an agonizing moment. And so there's ups and downs, with as with most relievers. Um and I think the relievers can be maybe underappreciated at times because I almost liken them to offensive linemen. They're very easy to criticize when they do something wrong, but they're very slow to get credit when they do something right because you want to focus on the bats, the home runs. You know, oh, this guy struck out 12 in six innings. Right. Uh, and you don't want to focus on that eighth inning guy that had a one, two, three frame in a one run game. Um, so Will Smith, again, um, was a decent reliever. He was paid to be better than that. He had times where he was better than that. He had times where he was worse than that. But as you said, he's always going to be remembered uh, for that postseason last year, in particular throwing the final out of the World Series. And um, it's a moment that, look, Braves, you always have to make business decisions. They're trying to get better in their starting rotation. They're going to get Kirby Yates up from his rehab assignment in just days. So that covers that missing bullpen piece. And hopefully the Braves get something really good out of Odorizzi down the stretch. Let's take our first time out of today's show. Coming up, we've got Ben Ingram joining us on the program. But on the other side of this break, our good power, Tyron Wardam Steve, has called into Sports Call. We chat with him next here on WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back in to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. My name is JJ Jackson, Ryan LaVoy, and Brooks Childress. Join me on the show today. Again, coming up on today's program, Ben Ingram, along with our pal Justin Ferguson, Jason Reed, Butch Thompson, the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers, joins us in the final hour of the program. Maybe, just maybe, we need to ask Coach Thompson for some advice ourselves. Because, uh, man, the Thunder Chickens, it's Tuesday. We play a little bit later tonight. Looking for our first one of the season. Maybe Coach Thompson can give us some pointers. You never know. Do everything better. <laughs> yeah, that would be like, hey, we don't even want to waste your time talking about our performance. Man, what great things are happening for that Auburn baseball program. Again, we'll talk with Butch Thompson in the final hour of today's show. 334-887-3401 as we go to our Auburn Bank phone line. And joining us now, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve has called into Sports Call. Hi, Steve. 
Good afternoon, gentlemen, and how about a shout-out for 117-56? Yeah, what a big win it was for the Auburn basketball team. Dominated big them. Big win? That, well, was that a scrimmage or was that a, uh, just a uh, <laughs> you know, sandlot game? What it, was that? It felt like it. It felt like it. So those were essentially college-age uh, Israel players, and uh, Auburn was absolutely dominant in that performance. If we only could expect those kind of uh, outcomes for the regular season, yeah, right? Yeah, and if those happened in SEC matchups, I think we'd be in a good spot. Okay. All right. Moving on. Mr. Pa- uh, Mr. Ryan. Yes, sir. Uh, I was fortunate to have forwarded to me last night, uh, this evening by Mr. J.J., your comments uh, about uh, the uh, NOPE show. Uh, I enjoyed them. And there were some uh, hidden messages. I don't know which ones you're referring to, but there was one there that I had uh, left uh, the movie scratching my head on. Uh, was this a filler? You know, that was just thrown in? Uh, we're talking about the monkey episode. Right. Yeah, I, I keep it kind of vague in those movie reviews. I do one each Monday. I keep it vague on movies that are newer because I don't want any spoilers. And also kind of the premise of what I was talking about is, you know, if you go into the movies, and we can discuss it right now if you'd like, but if you go into the movie thinking and, and wanting to find all the deep dive narratives, then you might lose side of just hey this is just a movie you know enjoy what you're seeing and don't worry about the the bigger picture so to speak so um the the monkey thing um and everyone cover your ears if you don't want to know anything about this movie you're you're going to go see it soon um the monkey thing is kind of a a metaphor uh, and, and the guy that that survived that incident is kind of a metaphor for the dangers of capitalism um and as i read it and so uh what people were talking about is that um he sees this horrific event essentially and then still goes on later in life and tries to profit off of something similar because you know it was implied that he had been working quote unquote working with the ufo and been feeding it horses and then so he's been greedily you know, trying to profit off of something bad, and then he himself gets taken up there by the UFO towards the end. Okay. Uh, now, uh, we I know we don't have very much time. Maybe I can discuss it at another segment. Uh, We're good. Go ahead right uh, now, Steve. Go ahead right now. Okay, because uh, I took another uh, view of that one. That one I also saw. I thought he's also making a social commentary about the mistreatment uh, and I used to work in a psych lab of uh, uh, animals that are used for external studies and research, how they're, unfortunately, have been mistreated uh, more often than not, and that this is uh, nature's or animal's way of getting back at humans who mistreated them. Hmm. I had not read that one. I can see where that comes from, though. I, I didn't read a ton of articles. I read a couple um, from, like, Time, and I, I forget where the other one was, but um, I can I can see where that's going. Uh, and nope. I saw prior to the movie coming out, there were people taking, uh, I guess, a stab at what those letters meant, and the one that I thought probably best uh, stood for was not of planet Earth. But do you know what NOPE actually was meant to stand for by Jordan Peele? No, I do not. I saw I saw that, Steve, and I think Jordan Peele was saying that he, he kind of went away from having it stand for something, right? Okay, so NOPE maybe didn't necessarily mean anything. 
From what I was reading, yes, because I, I myself okay. I, I saw it with Ryan the other day, and uh, he's much better at formulating thoughts after a movie, uh, whereas I'm pretty terrible at it. And and uh, no, that was just one of the the takeaways that I had from the film was or, or from reading um, some thoughts from Jordan Peele on what the name might be. What did you see? Okay, well, I thought may 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 could be not of planet Earth. No. Uh, but who knows? Uh, real quickly, Ryan, finally, uh, I, I liked it. I didn't think it was uh, the best one he's made. I right. put number two. Where were you ranked it uh, among his latest three movies? So I, I look at movies two ways. I'm going to try not to be too long-winded here. I look at my personal enjoyment level, and then I look at the quality of the film. I think those are two different things. Like I think people can enjoy – the example I give, I think people can enjoy fast food but also admit that the quality is very low. And so I think this is probably the second best – movie that he's made behind get get out and then us would be third but my enjoyment level was probably third behind us second then get out number one if that makes sense i think i think it was a well-made movie i just necessarily because there were so many questions didn't necessarily enjoy it as much as the other two I got it. Hey, I have no problem uh, with your analysis. All right, real quickly, guys, because I know I'm under a lot of uh, pressure here. Uh, you know, Luke, this is for you, man, because I know you love me as a number man, um, and so I want to throw a number at you. 17 to 16. This is the 50th anniversary of that fantastic uh, comeback in the Iron Bowl. So uh, I know you guys were aware of that, right? 50th anniversary year. I actually was not aware of that. That's uh, That's pretty fun to celebrate. 1972, guys. Wow. It's time, time for us to do it again to him, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Real quickly, I mentioned to you yesterday, guys, and this really good article. Where does Auburn rank among college football's top brands? This is from, uh, if you want to read the article, AuburnWire.com. Uh, but apparently, uh, a, uh, I guess, a research place called Official Visit, they recently polled 1,000 high school football players to find out college football's best friends yeah. according to these uh, and uh, Ryan brought this up last week in the office we had a long discussion about oh, it last you? week okay so you know we're not we on right uh, yeah. 21st I believe uh, yeah we were t- uh, 21st yep. and uh, of course uh, we also uh, they said we uh, I, I, I'm not surprised by this so they compiled the rankings 12 of the SEC's 14 programs on the top 30 and 10 of those in the top 25. So for people to say that, you know, outside the SEC that we play, you know, uh, Patsy or uh, Cupcake or teams in non-conference, well, when you've got this kind of, you know, uh, rankings and the reason that they're based on these rankings apparently is the, the competition that we have to contend with. You know, we, we accountable ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is some danger, you know, when we discuss the uh, future of the league and the scheduling model and how some are proponent of the nine game conference schedule, but some want to keep it at eight. I've been in favor of nine and the three plus six, but whenever you add an extra SEC game, everyone's got to keep in mind that that is adding a more difficult game than what you would play in the non-conference normally. Um, and, and that's something Greg Sankey talked about. Wh- wh- you know, Whether you subscribe to that line of thinking or not, he talked about he wants teams to have access to the playoff, but he also wants the 
traditional teams that really don't ever have any challenging uh, or have any ability to challenge for the playoff. He wants the teams that to remain, maintain their bowl eligibility as well. And, and playing another conference game could hurt these Missouris and, and South Carolinas that traditionally go six and six. You play another team you can't beat like Oklahoma or A&M or whoever from the other side. Um, and then you, you struggle to make a bowl game. So that, that's just a line of thinking to that. But, but certainly that that's what the league is looking at, and certainly a lot of things have to be considered because this league does have so many quality, well-respected programs. Well, uh, good comments, and you know, college football is not uh, college football that I grew up with, but you know, we got to change and adapt to it. We'll uh, quickly, guys, moving on. Uh, I saw that we hired a uh, new uh, hitting coach uh, after uh, the announcement of retirement from uh, Miss Tim Hudson. Pitching and, uh, coach, Sam- yeah. A kind of pitching coach, and he's going to be one of the best, it looks like. Is that right? Yeah, we're uh, going to get to chat with Butch Thompson later in the show today, so you'll get to hear him talk about it. But uh, Coach Schoenrock was the head baseball coach at Memphis for 18 seasons, has been an SEC pitching coach before. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's a tremendous hire for the Tigers. I'm moving on again to uh, the NFL. I was really underwhelmed at the uh, – that the lack of severity for Deshaun Watson being suspended for only six six games, I think, and the NFL actually won the entire season. What was your guys' take? Yeah, I, I do think anytime you bring up into question the suspensions of the NFL, it's always uh, you're always kind of sh- scratching your head at some of the results, right? We talked last year about um, what uh, what Calvin Ridley did for the Falcons with a full season suspension for a fifteen hundred dollar bet on his team, and Steve, I know you brought that up to our attention. So uh, that warrants being suspended for an entire season, but then uh, kind of the chaos off the field that Deshaun Watson had only got six games. Uh, I think that. When you go and you look at all the evidence that's presented against Deshaun Watson, there should be uh, you should feel comfortable giving him a larger suspension than those six games. But but clearly they thought six was enough, uh, and uh, move forward we go. Well, JJ, actually the NFL had asked for a, a whole year suspension, but it was a female judge who it was like uh, from a firm, or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was that a, recommended a crazy. the right. Uh, okay, moving on, guys. Uh, same with you, Mr. Ryan. I'm sure you were made a little interested in this, but uh, the NFL has apparently uh, fined and maybe, I think, suspended or what, uh, the Miami Dolphins uh, owner for some shenanigans uh, with Tom Brady? Yeah, I, I was not even – I was so locked in the trade deadline when I got into work this morning, I knew about the Juan Soto trade, and this NFL news kind of hit me. Uh, the guys told me once I got in the door, and I was reading up on it, and apparently this tampering of Brady goes not only to last season in Tampa, but actually his last season in New England, the Dolphins were contacting him already, and then last year they were contacting him about potentially being a player owner for the Dolphins for this season. But, of course, the Bucks still had him under contract. He would have gotten traded. There would have had to be a, a vote of approval by the ownership of, of all the NFL teams. He would have had to gotten 24 out of 32 yes votes to be an owner. There's all these hoops that may not have even been able to be jumped through, all for the Dolphins just to end up getting caught for this tampering, losing a first-round pick, and as you said, yeah, the owner suspended for a couple months and having to pay like a $1.5 million fine or something like that. So uh, pretty pretty crazy, pretty crazy. 
And finally, guys, uh, I was encouraged to see this. I know you guys may see it differently, uh, but this comes from the uh, my athletic. Apparently, the uh, LIV, that was called uh, yes, uh, Greg the Norman, golf tour. to him. Yeah, he, Greg Norman, according to this article, claimed in an interview that he offered Tiger Woods between $700 million and $800 million to join the uh, t- uh, tour tournament, and the Tiger Woods declined it and has since announced a Saudi-backed uh, league. Did you guys happen to read that? Yeah, I saw that, and my only thought was uh, <laughs> more moral than I would have been <laughs> been on that kind of an offer. <laughs> that was That's pretty a lot crazy. Of money. Well, that took some courage, I thought, to yeah. stand up for what he thought was right or wrong. Yeah, I mean, um, certainly Tiger's made his money in his day. He doesn't need it. But anytime you see something that astronomically high, I mean, that's – I mean, I don't even know how to form thoughts around 700 to $800 million to play the sport of golf. So, I mean, just – But to turn that down, wow, that, yeah. that took some courage. I thought – I mean, yeah. you know, it's not – it's like you and me being offered maybe, what, <clears throat> uh, $700,000, $800,000, I don't know. But uh, uh, so much for that. And finally, I did not know – that uh, Mahomes, I think he had that astronomical contract. That's that right. Part of the contract, there was a clause. He had to do some homework. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has to oh, do Kyler Murray. Yeah. yeah. Well, they rescinded it after people Correct. were complaining about it. Now, I can't believe that a team, uh, whoever made up that clause, would, based on people's complaints, uh, you know, decide to rescind uh, that kind of a yeah. requirement. Were you surprised by that, guys, that they bent to – uh, people's complaints. We'll tell you that you need to listen to our interview coming up with uh, Jason Reed at 415. He's got this new book out today, The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America, and we talk a little bit about the fact that uh, there was a clause needed to be put in place for Kyler and then ultimately rescinding that out of the deal. So we'll hold that. That'll be a teaser for folks to listen to that interview a little bit later today, Steve. Okay, and finally, I'd really, as I'll say finally for the last time, I enjoyed listening to uh, our Auburn uh, guy, uh, Logan Parks. Uh, Mr. Logan Parks, yeah. About, I mean, I didn't know all the things he educated me about, about bass fishing. Yeah. And uh, I, I was so glad to hear all the stuff that they go through and how they uh, are also very on informative. The conservation part, you know, how they, you know, make sure that they do it the right way. They don't cheat by using uh, worms, live bait, and they don't use something called. Alabama, what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the godfather of bass fishing, I didn't know, was an Auburn guy. How about that? War Eagle. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Rick Scott, was that his name? Correct. Correct. And he recently passed away. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, enough of my rambling. Hey, thank you, guys. And I'll close and, with uh, this, Steve. I just saw this a moment ago because I've been searching for this in our conversation, but Jordan Peele did have an interview with IMDb today where he says, quote, I was trying to let people figure that one out for themselves, you know, so I wasn't leaning into that, but the cat's out of the bag now. We're talking about a UFO here, and it's not of planet Earth, and it also, of course, refers to how black people, that's what we say if we saw a UFO. Nope. It's like no extraterrestrial. The kids are going to live for that. Yeah, not of planet Earth. You got what it means, end quote from uh, Jordan Peele. So he confirmed that for us. Okay, well, that's so, good. So, so the bloggers I wrote about, they had it right. They had it right. They had it right. So, All right, thank you for that update. And uh, with that, guys, I look forward to the other uh, conversations, the interviews you have later on. And you guys, uh, you don't get enough. 
offer. Uh, so uh, I'm going to talk to people, you know, in high places <laughs> to, to, to get you treated right. Thank you, Steve. All right, thank you, guys. Have a safe evening. War Eagle. War Eagle. Our buddy retired Lord Am Steve joining us there on the program. Let's take a break. Sports Call rolls on in a moment. Have your attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is what? My name is what? My name is Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Our thanks again to retired Lord Am Steve for joining us on the show. Good phone call with him as always, talking about a variety of different topics. I mean, geez, this time of year, you've just got so many different storylines and sports going on and taking place. It's hard to keep up with all the news and do a great job chatting about it with Steve. We were talking a little bit about Movie Monday, Ryan Lavoy's movie reviews that you can find on our website, www.thetiger.fm, the Tiger 95.9 FM page, and you'll see all of his movie mondays also today on our website we've got the braves notebook published that you can find updating you on what the braves have going on this time of year also with that being said uh, the braves are back in action tonight the braves will play uh tonight and then they will have a big five game series coming up this weekend with the new york mets so a bunch of division games this week Phillies for a couple, and then five with the Mets. Yeah, and I, I think that could be a reason you see a six-man rotation for a couple of weeks. When you have a doubleheader, you'll have six games in five days. Everyone would be on normal rest. So I think you could see Odorizzi fit in, and they not have to make a move yet. You know, you, you look at the different avenues. <coughs> if you are going to cut it down to five, there's just, I mean, no way that Kyle Wright or Max Freed especially will be involved in that. I think Charlie Morton has pitched really well at his veteran age. I, I mean, I just don't think bullpen's on the table for him. So you're looking at Ian Anderson and Spencer Strider. The truth is Spencer Strider has been far better than Ian Anderson. But obviously Strider started this year as a reliever, so it might be natural for him to return to that role. Uh, also, you would have to consider, though, that Ian Anderson has been your worst pitcher. If you're simply trying to make your rotation as good as possible, it would be utter easy for Ian Anderson. Now, would you send Anderson down, a guy that has helped you win a world championship that's pitched very well in the postseason? Uh, or would you just simply move him to the bullpen? Again, that's a tricky situation because either way, the guy has been in the rotation for a couple of years now and has contrib- contributed in big ways to the postseason. So uh, it's not – there's going to be have to be some sort of give here 
with what they do and we always hear teams threaten six-man rotation they very seldom do it again i think for the next couple of weeks you could see the braves do it but i don't think that's something they're going to continue with for the rest of the season so you know i i think that i think it's a good move for the short term i think Atlanta probably hopes it'll work itself out. I mean, obviously, the preferred outcome is for everyone to pitch well, but if Ian Anderson, who just has his best start of the year, then regresses and has a couple of bad stars, I think that kind of puts writing on the wall. If he continues to pitch well, then maybe you go to Strider in the bullpen again. So there's some options there. I, it does look like the Braves are done as we get closer to this deadline now. The Mets have not been done. The Phillies have not been done. But um, Atlanta's acquisitions are okay. Um they're very small moves. They're in some ways underwhelming. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to – I don't know how to assess it. All I know is these five with the Mets coming up next week and the nine in the in the month total, Braves need to come out of that with, with a winning record. They're down three games. The Mets are playing good baseball. Like people can make all the Mets jokes they want to make. The Mets are damn good. They're really good, and they've not had Jacob DeGrom all season long, and he starts for the New York Mets tonight for the first time. So the Braves will have to play excellent, and part of that is playing well against the Mets. If they do not win more than the Mets win in the head-to-head, if the Mets beat them five out of nine this month or three out of five coming up, the Braves will not win the division. They have to beat the Mets straight up and gain some ground that way because the Mets are too good to just go on like this nine-game losing streak and just just gift it to Atlanta. That's not happening this year. They're going to get opportunities. As you said, they got a lot of meetings coming up with the New York Mets who just acquired outfielder Darren Ruff from the Giants for J.D. Davis and three pitching prospects. So the deadline moves on. Still have over an hour officially left in the trade deadline. The Braves acquire Jake Odorizzi, a starting pitcher from the Houston Astros. And Brooks, it is such an interesting dynamic. As Ryan was talking about, six pitchers now. Do you send Spencer Strider back to the bullpen? Do you let Ian Anderson keep going after his first great outing of the season, his last time out? I mean, these are big questions that Brian Snicker and the Braves coaching staff have to answer. Yeah, I'm, the last team that I can vividly remember going to a six-man rotation was the the Tampa Bay Rays a couple years back. And I don't remember if that was a playoff team or not for the Rays, but that's the last one I can, I can vividly remember doing a six-man rotation. And it's just not something you see in this you know era of baseball because everything is so analytic-driven that you you know a lot of teams don't let their starters get to a third time through the rotation before they go to the bullpen and if you've got a six man on that on that um that's a rotation that takes you know essentially takes a guy out of your bullpen that's another reliever you can't have in your bullpen what does help now is you don't have as deep of a bench because you you don't have a pitcher batting anymore you've got the um You've got the DH now and Universal DH, so there's not as big of a bench need for the for the National League team. So you can carry a, a couple extra pitchers instead of some bench guys. But you know, it I, right now, I I think it would be you know especially with like you said five games and what three days, four days coming up for against the Mets. Uh, I think it would be fitting to have a six-man rotation at least to get through that. Um, but, That's a good thought. But after that, I think it just it kind of it kind of hits the um, it kind of hits the stride where you kind of evaluate it because Ian Anderson. You ha- provided that thought, didn't you? Yeah. 
I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. But no, I was not mad. You were okay. just making your point. That was just a part of your point. I was mad at JJ, like, oh, yeah, Brooks, look at that. <laughs> and I was literally a moment ago, I was like, yeah, so I think the six-man rotation works when you have five and four games. Therefore, you're going to end up having, you know, six you games, five help. days. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally fine. Everyone, we can say similar things. I was just like... You deserve oh, yeah, your bro. credit. You deserve we, your credit. We always make fun of you when you don't listen to Correct. Brooks. So and this I, was the one time you I didn't actually listen to was me. listening yeah. to Brooks, and I didn't listen to you. And for that, I'm sorry. But Brooks, great point. Continue. Uh, thank you. Thank. Great point, Ryan. Good stuff, Brooks. <laughs> great point, Ryan. Thank you, man. Um, but yeah, at, at least to get through this weekend uh, against the Mets, I think a six man rotation really, really works for you. And after that, I think you just evaluate it. Game, you know, keep going through, and because and, Ian Anderson's been a guy that's been kind of up and down this year. He's had a few good starts obviously coming off his best start of the season and then you know before that I I was there for his last start at in uh, at Tourist Park when they faced the Angels not great it was it wasn't great and early so I think with a guy like Ian Anderson a guy like Spencer Strider you kind of take it you know going forward see how they do move maybe move them to the bullpen maybe move them back and especially though once you hit that um you know you, you may want to keep them in the rotation because once you hit the postseason you get some of those games where it's a seven game series and you're trying to juggle who's going to start this game six or you know going into it after so many days off if you've got a six-man rotation that everyone's pitching rather well that kind of helps you out there without having to maybe go maybe not have to or maybe avoid a bullpen day um but yeah i mean like you ryan said like you said jj important uh you've, you've got to beat the mets straight up here um and I, I said i said going into last week in this last weekend that the braves had to come into this uh these next five games against the the Diamondbacks and the Phillies and they had to win you know match at least match the Mets and that's what they did over the weekend they were able to sweep the Diamondbacks go into this uh two game series with Phillies and only be back half a game and that's only because you didn't play yesterday and so if if the Braves can go into this Phillies uh series tonight two games if you can get one tonight get one tomorrow and keep keep the Mets at that three and a half level and then go into this weekend with those five games I think you set yourself up for for a really good chance at uh at getting reeling reeling in the Mets a little bit closer good things could happen if that were to be the case let's just go ahead and, and see a seven game winning streak Right here for the Braves. Take these two at the Phillies and then five at them. Why not? Well, okay. Well, then seven games stops in the middle of the Mets series. Going to be a smart Alec for a second. Remember, they already swept the Diamondbacks. So, oh, true. Seven true. game win so, streak would kind of stop right in the middle of the Mets series. So we'll add talking it about up to seven more games. Yeah. Talking about like we're talking about like these two Philly games and right. five Mets game. Okay, just so we're clear there. Right. To total it now, to a ten game winning streak. Now, I'm fine with that. I don't know how. Uh, cookies being eaten in the lobby but um i or a burger anyway um so my thing with this next grouping of games is it comes just after the trade deadline so everyone should have their players like you just heard darren ruff get traded to the mets he should be available by thursday so these are going to be the like the very first games for all these new players. Like Grossman's not in the lineup for Atlanta tonight, so if he's not in the lineup Wednesday night, one of his first games will be Thursday. Surely Odorizzi won't pitch before Thursday. 
And so you're looking at this, and these guys are going to be playing in very high-leverage, important situations from the word go. You're not easing in with the with the Nationals yeah, or with the, the Cubs. To, yeah. You're playing the team that we you were trying to. to be. And, again, I think, you know, if I go back to what I said to open the show with Soto and, and the Padres, by the way, Brooks showed me, uh, or Brooks and I were looking at it, I totally forgot about Josh Hader being traded last night to them. Um if the Braves don't win this division, the Potters are not catching L.A. They're like 11 or 12 back. They can win all they want. They're not catching the Dodgers. The Braves would play the Padres in the wild card. And that is not that team will not be the same. Like in the same way the Braves last year at the end of the season were not the same that they were in the middle of the season. That could be the Padres this year. They could be playing like one of the best teams in, in baseball by the end of this year because Tatis has not played at all for them. And then they bring in Soto and Bell, and they've got one of the best closers in the game in Hayter now. Yeah, their starting pitching is just good. It's not great, but damn, everything else is great. I mean, you can't have a much better closer than that. You can't have much more power than that. You can't have much more swagger than that. You can't have much more patience at the plate than that. You've got good fielding. Uh, it, like, that's just a loaded team at that point. That would be a very tough matchup for the Braves if they have to do that. So they've got to try and win the division. That's what they got to do. And it starts tonight as they get back in the mix here on uh, the Braves Radio Network, AM 1230 WAUD. Alongside Ryan, the boy, and Brooks Childress, my name is Jay. Jay Jackson. We have finished the first hour of Sports Call here today. One hour left to go. Again, alongside Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, I'm JJ Jackson. One hour of the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with my buddies Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Hope that everyone's had a great Tuesday so far. We have. It's been a fun hour and we've got a lot of great interviews coming up. Brooks, everything okay in your world? How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. Can't complain. Beautiful Tuesday on the plains. Just ready for some uh, Thunder Chicken softball tonight. Ready to uh, embrace my new found role of DH. Let's get Let's it, go. If it happens. Let's have if some it fun. Happens. It's going to happen, Ryan. It's going positive to happen. thoughts. Positive, positive and happy thoughts. That's what we like to think about. Let's hope that it happens at least, Brooks. Let's do that yeah. much. 
Uh, we do this each and every day on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show as we get started here in the final hour of the program. Let's take this opportunity to celebrate. I said final hour, the second hour of the program. Let's celebrate our birthdays in sports. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. All right, Birthdays in Sports here today on August 2nd. Golden Tate is 33 years old, the former NFL wide receiver. He played college football at Notre Dame where he was an All-American in 2009. The winner of the Blitnikoff Award, drafted in the second round of the 2010 NFL Draft by the Seattle Seahawks in 2014, made the Pro Bowl and was also a Super Bowl champion. Golden Tate is 33 years old. Wow. I never really... You know, I know I remember him playing at Notre Dame, but you never think about it that he it was the you know played for the team that is nicknamed the Golden Domers, and his name is Golden Tate. It's pretty good stuff. Oh wow! You should never think about that. It's pretty good stuff. That's uh, where my mind goes. Chris Stapps Porzingis is 27 years old, a forward for the Washington Wizards, born in Latvia. Porzingis played professionally in Europe until he declared for the NBA draft in 2015, selected fourth overall by the Knicks. He made the all-rookie team in 2016 and was a all-star in 2018. Chris Stapps Porzingis, 27. If you were a betting man, would you say he makes another all-star team in his career? Ooh. I would say no. Significant knee injuries also uh, left out of the bio. We, we thought yeah, happy thoughts for him there, but he unfortunately only, has sat and had some of those. The only wizard making all-star teams is Beal. And Porzingis certainly could have been that. And I think there's still a place for him as a, as a solid like number three or four player on a good team, but... Uh, I don't think he'll ever reach all sort level again. No. He was, Happy birthday, Chris Stapps. The the Knicks fans booed him when they got when he got drafted. Correct? Like oh, they yeah. were mad about it. And then a couple of years in, they're like, "Well, what did we boo for?" And then he kind of went back downhill again. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's just that's Knicks fans. I don't think there's ever been a draft pick they've not booed. <laughs> Next up for birthdays in sports, Paul DeJog, 29 years old, shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. I said it wrong. Say it for me. Paul DeYoung. DeYoung. DeJong. DeYoung. Uh, he played his college career at Illinois State for those curious. D-E-J-O-N-G. D-E-J-O-N-G. Paul DeYoung uh, is the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals at 29 years old. Graduated in 2015. 131st overall pick in the 2015 draft by the St. Louis Cardinals. Made his debut in 2017. As a rookie, he led all National League shortstops in homers. And in 2019, he made his first All-Star team. And then finally, one more birthday today. Another baseball birthday. One of my favorites. Grady Sizemore is turning 40. Crazy. Former, how's he 40? Former MLB outfielder Sizemore was planning to attend Washington to play football and baseball, but was drafted by the Expos in the 2000 draft. Traded to the Indians and made his debut in 2004. Played until 2015 and was a three-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover, and one-time Silver Slugger. An outfielder who was left-handed. Made incredible diving catches. Had the nickname, The Ladies Love Grady. Uh, every time he made a great play, which I thought was super cool when I was a youngster in my middle school years. The Ladies Love Grady. I wanted the ladies to love me. Uh, Grady Sizemore is turning 40 years old today. Our birthdays in sports here on August 2nd. Golden Tate, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Paul DeYoung, and Grady Sizemore are all celebrating 
their birthdays. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to have a conversation with Jason Reed, the senior ESPN and Anscape writer who has a new book out today, The Rise of the Black Quarterbacks. And uh, Brooks, it was kind of interesting to, to have the conversation with him about this book coming out. Uh, there are a lot of really successful black quarterbacks Today, currently in 2022, but the book does a great job of kind of telling you all about the history of that position. Yeah, and uh, I think of you know, like you said in the interview, um, that people are going to hear here shortly. It's uh, it was a great conversation with him. A lot of great topics. We brought up some Auburn connections there that he writes about in the book um, with uh, a couple quarterbacks. Obviously, Cam Newton being one of them. The other one being Jason Campbell, who was part of that 2004 Auburn football team that went undefeated, uh, won the Sugar Bowl. Um, but yeah, it was a great, great. Conversation conversation uh i can't wait for folks to hear it and it's uh it, if you get a chance to read the book i highly recommend reading the book let's do that let's read the book if you can go buy the book and support everything jason reed has going on what we want to do right now is take a break and when we come back you hear that conversation it's coming up next right here on sports call to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au now back to more sports call with jj jackson and the guys Welcome back into Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson, Ryan LaVoy, and Brooks Childress inside our studios. We are so excited and honored to go to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on our next guest, a senior NFL writer, Jason Reed, who's got a brand new book coming out, The Rise of the Black Quarterback. Uh, Jason, thank you for taking time to join us on today's show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have this conversation with you, so let's just start here. What made you want to write a book like this, Jason? Well, I've covered the NFL for some time, and I, and I, you know, one of the first people I covered in the NFL was when I covered the Washington football team, uh, Jason Campbell, a guy who I'm sure you guys know about. And um, I, I was always interested in the history of how did black quarterbacks who – were once, you know, the most marginalized group in the NFL become one of the most powerful and influential groups in the NFL. And when I covered Washington, I got to know Jason Campbell really well and also Doug Williams, uh, the legendary quarterback who was the first African-American pastor to win a Super Bowl and the MVP award. And in talking to those guys and getting to know them, it just seemed to be something to me that I I wanted to understand the story for myself. And so thus begins a deeper dive into putting a book together like this. You've got, obviously, the drive to make this happen. Talk to me about how you went about putting together the book in terms of, okay, how do I want to dive this up? How much history versus uh, what we're currently seeing in the sport? How did you uh, go through all those thoughts? Well, I wanted to talk to the pioneers, uh, key pioneers who really – kind of blaze the trap to me blaze the trail for the guys of today and then i wanted to talk to people today who really represented something look there are a lot of there's many superstar black quarterbacks right now but i really wanted to pick certain guys who kind of represented the evolution of the game um so i started with 
Doug Williams among the pioneers, uh, Warren Moon, the only black quarterback enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, James Shaq Harris, the first black quarterback to, to start a season opener and to, to start in the Pro Bowl. Um, and then you know, moving forward, looking at guys today, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, you know, what he represents in terms of the evolution of the game, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and also looking at Colin Kaepernick and the stance that he took that no quarterback had ever taken before. So it really I wanted to have a, a mixture of pioneers and people of today who represent so much in the game. And for these pioneers uh, in particular, remind people of how – uh, obviously, how big their impact is on the sport, but also just how much they had to go through to to make it to the league and to get the same opportunities that others were being afforded. You know, and that's such a, a great question. You know, I went into this book thinking that I had a pretty good understanding of all this stuff. I, you know, I covered the NFL since 2007. I've been reporting on this. Uh, you know, I mentioned Jason Campbell, a, a great quarterback who led uh, Auburn to an undefeated season um, some years back. I, so I thought I had an understanding of what I was writing about. And I got to tell you, guys. Jumping into this, doing the reporting, there was so much I didn't know. I mean, I knew about racism, obviously, but but Marlon Briscoe, one of the pioneers who just recently uh, passed, unfortunately, you know, he he was the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos as a rookie, has a great season, sets a Broncos rookie record for touchdowns, which I believe still stands today. And Broncos have had some decent quarterbacks, one guy uh, in particular, John Elway, and They just took the job away from him because of racism. And I remember I was interviewing Marlon, and we were in a restaurant, and I said to him, you know, how did you get over that? And he said to me, well, you're assuming I did get over it. And this is, you know, how many decades later. So these guys endured things, like Warren Moon, uh, when he was a senior at the University of Washington, he's being booed by the home crowd. He's leading Washington that year to the Rose Bowl. He was the, the conference co-player of the year, and he's being booed by his home crowd. Like, I, 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 to me, the things that those guys went through, you know, I know that you know, players today get you know, insulted on Twitter, and you know, there, there are things that are said, uh, social media, what have you, but it's nothing like what those guys went through. Right now we're chatting with Jason Reed. And again, a new book coming out, Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. And he's joining us here on Sports Call this afternoon. You mentioned a former Auburn Tiger and Jason Campbell. And then, uh, Jason, we could throw out another former Auburn quarterback in Cam Newton, the Heisman Trophy winner. He won a national championship for the Tigers, the number one overall pick. Those two guys in particular, what did they mean to the sport? What did they mean to the position? You know, Jason Campbell, I, I got to mean, you know, he's, he's a friend of mine. And I, I, I always felt bad for him because he, he played in a very dysfunctional, a very dysfunctional franchise when he broke into the league as a first round draft pick, the Washington football team. And uh, it, it's still a very dysfunctional franchise. And, and then Cam Newton, you know, Cam Newton was such a freak of nature, as everybody knows, the size. And he became the second black quarterback ever to win the league uh, AP MVP award. So both of those guys, you know, have a, have a story in this, in, in the overarching story of, of the, the, the story of the black quarterback in the NFL. And they're both important stories. 
When you look at uh, Jason, when you when you look at some of the guys that we think about, you know, some of the first quarterbacks that I, I think I can remember growing up and watching were kind of Donovan McNabb and Michael Vick, uh, and I know there was a lot of quarterbacks that came before those two guys, but those two are, are some guys that had a big impact on the game. What what is what do you think they contributed to the the history here? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb was in the 1999 quarterback class, and that was the first class in NFL history where three African-American quarterbacks were taken in the first round. The league had never seen anything like that. And that was really an acknowledgement by the people who are the decision makers in the NFL that, okay, black quarterbacks now, you know, we we can't just ignore them. Some of these guys are going to be good and can help us win games and help us make money. So that was such a a big year. And then Donovan McNabb goes on to have a very good career in the NFL. You know, he didn't win a Super Bowl, but he was a Pro Bowler and the Eagles won a lot of games with him. And you look at what he did during his time, the the guy really was successful. And and then you talk about Michael Vick, the, the first black quarterback ever selected number one overall in 2000 you know, Mike Vick goes out there and plays in a manner that really the league had not seen. Even Randall Cunningham, who was a great dual threat quarterback uh, year, you know, years before Michael Vick was the number one pick, Randall Cunningham with the Philadelphia Eagles, no one played like Michael Vick. It was like a, almost like a swashbuckling style at, at that position. And both of the, all of those guys, Michael Vick, Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, they all have helped to contribute to the evolution of the quarterback position. And one of those things, Jason, I think is important to note in the evolution is that entire offenses can now be built around guys that play the game maybe a little differently. And one of the guys you talk about in your book is Lamar Jackson. And obviously Lamar is a guy that still faces unfair criticisms just because one of his best traits is being able to run the football as a quarterback. So what did you learn in talking about Lamar Jackson and the struggles? that It feels like he gets maybe the brunt of the criticism for some of these guys that, that, that seems to be unfair. Yeah, you know, the thing about Lamar is, I mean, no one can sit here and argue that Lamar is the best pocket passer. In the NFL, he's not. But but for people who say that the that the Ravens can't win games when Lamar if Lamar has to throw the ball, that's not true. They have won games where Lamar has to throw the ball. Matter of fact, in week five last year, Lamar had one of the greatest passing performances, just period, not just for him. Uh, in a 19-point come-from-behind victory against the Indianapolis Colts, he passed for 442 yards, four touchdowns, a couple of two-point conversions. Uh, he set the completion percentage record at 86%. So we know that Lamar can succeed. Does he continue to have to? Does he have to work on that skill still? Yes, I can point to metrics that say that will show you that he has improved. But it's really about the eye test, and it's really about he's never going to get the credit as a passer. I, I believe unless he can win a Super Bowl. And then another guy featured prominently in the in the book, Kyler Murray. He recently in the news gets this huge contract and an awesome deal to get. However, a lot was made about the uh, the studying clause in the contract, and I, and I just wonder what you what you made of that. And um, you know, obviously it was great to get that huge contract, but I, I don't know of these types of things being reported very often where we talk about how much a guy's got to study film. 
Yeah, the, the the Cardinals really made a huge mistake with that thing, and and they and they wound up taking the uh, independent study addendum out of the contract because of the uproar and the backlash to it. I mean, Kyler Murray was the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's a two-time Pro Bowler. Now, the only way you can interpret the situation is that someone high up enough in the Cardinals organization who could actually have a say over the franchise quarterback's contract or multiple people high up enough felt that Kyler doesn't study enough. Now, the best face you can put on it is maybe, look, generally they're okay with his study habits, but they just wanted to prod him a little bit to maybe do a little more to, like, maximize his potential. But that's not something that should have been in the contract. That's something that, that should have been said to him privately. And also, four hours is such a ridiculously small amount of time. It, it really, from every angle of this thing, was just a very bad decision by the Cardinals and Kyler's agent, you know, should have pushed back against this to where it wasn't in there. Now, my guess is, is that that's not what anybody was thinking about, really. They were thinking about $160 million guaranteed, but the Cardinals did, did Kyler a disservice, and every time, I guarantee you, every time he has a bad game, and the best quarterbacks have bad games, he'll have another one, people will wonder, well, was he not studying this week? And then, Jason, you know, you mentioned in the book that in recent history, uh, this, the, the, you know, the subject here was brought about by the Colin Kaepernick uh, stuff, and then it was kind of reignited here in the last couple of years from the 2020. Um, what, what do you think fans should look for in the, in, the, um, in the world of, like, cultural and social issues coming up here, not just this season but in the, in the NFL, but going forward? Yeah, the, the NFL is, a, is in a point as that a, is at a point right now where the league is supporting social justice issues, social shoot, I say that fast, social justice issues because of the fact that players have pushed the league to support social justice issues. You know, the NFL at one point, I believe it was 2016-2017, the players were 70% African American. Now, players who identify as black or African American, they make up about, I think, 58.9% of the league, something like that. So the league is not in a position, I believe, to back away from its commitment to social justice issues. And it funds these programs. And, and you know, there are a lot of people in the league who are focused on trying to do work in that area. Um, I don't think the league will, will go back to, like, previously say, oh, this is not something we want to deal with. You know, we're, 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 we're just focused on football. I think that the, the, the genie is out of the bottle, so to speak, and it's never going to be able to go back in. Rise of the Black Quarterback, what it means for America as we're talking with Jason Reed, the senior NFL writer for Anscape and ESPN Platform. You can get a copy of the book wherever books are sold. We're holding a copy here in our studio, Jason, and as you look at the next, as we said, looking towards the future, 10 years from now, what is the goal of this current topic? Well, I think we're, at, we're right now, I like to call it the era of the black quarterback, where there have been, never been more superstar black quarterbacks in the game, franchise quarterbacks. You have young quarterbacks like Trey Lance in San Francisco, Justin Fields in Chicago, who are getting their opportunities now. You have black quarterbacks at these college football powerhouses, USC, Ohio State, Alabama, who are, who are the next ones. Then you look at high school. Then you look at youth football. You know, there used to be a time where you go to these all-star high school camps where you wouldn't see black players at the quarterback position. You now see many. So I think, for me, I would not be shocked if in another five, six years, a decade, you would see as many as you know, 16, 12 to 16 uh, black quarterbacks in the league thriving as starters and franchise caliber players. 
pander to our audience here for a moment as we're on the eve of the football season getting started. Again, Jason Reed joining us here, a senior NFL writer here in Auburn, just over an hour's drive away from Atlanta. Many Falcons fans in our area. What's your outlook on the Falcons as they gear up for this upcoming football season, Jason? You know, the thing about the Falcons is, look, if everything comes together, could they make the playoffs? Absolutely. I just think it's one of those things where I, I covering the NFL as long as I have, I hate these training camp early, you know, uh, preseason predictions because so many things can go wrong. You know, one, <laughs> one guy has a knee injury. One guy, you know, one guy doesn't get something done the right way and, you know, gets, gets in a situation where they, they, they're, they've lost somebody they're counting on. But look, I think there's a lot of talent on that roster, like the coaching staff, and I think if things break right, they can definitely have a good season. I hate to put you on the spot then, knowing that you hate these predictions, but with training camp starting, knowing this is a sports talk radio show and we're known to just throw a bunch of things against the wall and see what sticks, if you were to make a Super Bowl pick as training camp gets going, who would that be this year? Who? Um, boy, I, I, I really, really hate these. Why don't we say, um, <laughs> what, what, you know what, I mean, why don't we say um, just for fun, uh, Green Bay and Kansas City. Can't wait for that. That'd be an epic matchup. Thank you for doing that. I know that uh, is painful for many to have to kind of make those predictions because you're so right, Jason. I mean, so many different things can change as soon as the season gets going. The time is greatly appreciated. Remind our listeners once again how they can support you and more importantly, how they can find the book. Oh, the book is uh, everywhere books are sold. It's out today. Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, Target.com. And they can follow me uh, at JReedESPN or on uh, at ESPN.com or at Anscape.com. Outstanding. Thanks for the time again, Jason. We'll do this again soon. Thank you. That's Jason Reed joining us here on Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app inside the studio. J.J. Jackson with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Our thanks again to Jason Reed for joining us on the program just a moment ago. Again, later in today's program, Butch Thompson, the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers, will be on Sports Call with us. They've got a lot going on in their world, so you have that conversation to look forward to on this fine Tuesday. We're so thrilled now to go back to the phones and bring on another good friend of the program, our great pal Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer is here with us. Ferg, the time is greatly appreciated how you been my friend i'm good i was wondering if i got banned from the show because you hadn't invited me on in weeks <laughs> and here we are we're, we're reunited again uh glad to have you here with us you were not banned from the program whatsoever that would never ever ever happen that's why I'm, I'm happy to move forward and now that football season's here there's plenty to talk about so uh with that being said though football season's here but we got to talk basketball because you're so yep. elite at what you do ferg there's a game in israel and you've already published 
just observations from that game that was played. Yeah, well, it was pretty easy because Auburn dominated it pretty much all the way through. You could get a lot of that analysis done early on. But, no, it was a really, really good performance from Auburn. Look, this this Israel team was overmatched. And, in fact, it seems like that's not really from, according to people in Israel, wasn't really their full U-20 team out there. Their U-20s just finished up the uh, European Championship last week, went to the semifinals, finished fourth place. So this was mostly a U-19, U-18 squad uh, out there. So a little bit on the younger end. Physically, just was no match for Auburn. Auburn's size went crazy from the beginning. But I will say this, though, for Auburn fans who wanted to take some positives from this game, it's the first time these guys have played together against an opponent that wasn't themselves. Uh, And they looked really, really good. Um, Everybody shared it, um, looked good on both ends of the floor. Can't really say a negative thing about this game other than they may have have had a few too many turnovers, maybe had a few too many, um, you know, breakdowns in the second half on defense. But, I mean, they they demolished this team from the very beginning and and looked really well playing together, which is exactly what you want in these early preseason games. Pretty fun for all of us to basically have lunch here in the the Central Time Zone and watch basketball, man. Yeah, no, a whole lot of fun. Weekday afternoon basketball. That's (laughs) like, this is like the only time you're ever going to get that in college. So, yeah, no, it's, it was really, it was a really fun game. I hope Auburn fans got to enjoy it. The next two games they're going to play on Sunday and Monday uh, next week are going to be tougher competition. You're going to have professionals that you're going to be playing against, like solid, like grown men professionals that they'll be playing against. Uh, but man, I mean, this was a, this was a, If you were looking for some highlights, if you were looking to have some fun with this Auburn basketball team and some of the new guys, um, you got plenty. You got plenty of it in, in this uh, in this beatdown today. I'm surprised that the Auburn Observer uh, didn't put together travel accommodations for for Ferguson to be in person there in Israel. A little tough, a little tough. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to we're trying to trying to save up for uh, for the upcoming season. You know, there you go. Auburn basketball, Auburn basketball's road schedule and neutral site games this upcoming year are crazy. And uh, you know, I'd love um, to have the opportunity to go watch them play out on the West Coast and some other places. So, you know, hopefully that'll be in there. Israel, a little bit of a bridge too far for me. <laughs> no kidding. All right, well, let's talk again about uh, th- this basketball team, the competition that takes place. Got a chance to see some of the newcomers. As you mentioned, some freshmen, Janai Broom in the mix. Any of those guys in particular uh, do anything interesting that you were um, surprised by or impressed by? Well, the crazy thing was, is you know, I wrote about this earlier in the week at the Observer, but like you could tell, Bruce Pro was kind of preaching patience with uh, uh, Traor, um just because, hey, look, guys, you know, he just got here. Um, he's good. He's really, really good. He's really athletic, um, but you know, he's still trying to figure out where to be on a lot of things, and he's new to the process. He's still kind of relatively new to basketball compared to our other guys. So it's like you could tell he was kind of saying like, "Hey, pump the brakes, pump the brakes." And then he goes out there and leads the team in scoring, has 20 points and a ton of rebounds. Um, just, you know, just a great game from him. You could tell that Israel had, like, no answer for him on offense. And they didn't have an answer for Jani Broom. They didn't have an answer for Dylan Carwell either. Uh, Jalen Williams as well. Like, Auburn's size just kind of overwhelmed them. Their post play was really, really good. But, I mean, I thought Johan just looked I – mean, he looks like a big guard out there sometimes. <laughs> the fact that he can drive and finish uh, is pretty impressive. I thought he played with a ton of power. Uh, when he got opportunities around the basket. Got the free throw line a good bit. I think he drew six fouls, um, hit most of his free throws, which is great for a big man. Um, looked really, really good uh, there. I thought Broom was as, as advertised. Tall guy that's going to um, shoot really well down low. I think he was like seven of eight on his on his uh, field goal attempt, something like that. Um, shot, you know, rebounded well, protected the rim. Dylan Carwell had a fantastic game as well. Um, you know, not a new guy, but 
Um, I thought he looked really good taking that step forward. And then, man, Chance Westry. Chance Westry really was kind of the story of that early part of the game with his first run. And this is a 6'6 dude that I think, especially if you can see Zepp Jasper play some of the two more, um, and, you know, they might not be afraid to use Wendell some of the two on occasion and might not be afraid to, you know, you know play more KD and, and uh, Allen this upcoming season. Um, Chance Westry might be a guy that they like like as a as a true point guard, um, you know, behind one of Green Jr. So uh, that looked he looked really really good, very um, disruptive on defense at three steals, um, just smooth. Had some really good uh, step back jumpers in this game as well. So, I mean, the thing about it, I wrote about it in the observations is like it's not his fault, but like he's kind of gone under the radar um, just because he signed and you know committed and signed to Auburn last year, and it's been a long time and. Auburn's had a lot of hype and a whole season and you know a lot of movement that's happened since then. You know, Chance Westry is the sixth highest rated player Auburn's ever signed out of high school. You know, in the vast majority of Auburn's basketball history, he would be by far the best player they have on the floor. Um, so it just looks a little different when you've got five stars and, you know, NBA draft picks that have come before you recently. But I mean Westry I thought really, really impressive today, and I think, I think a lot of Auburn fans need to pay more attention to him. And Justin, typically this time of year, and we still are doing this, we get ready for football season and we talk all things fall camp and that sort of thing, but just how different is it to have this basketball program doing something like this, getting nationally televised exhibition games and having all these uh, fun young players to analyze and start to look forward to for, for November? It's rare. I mean, Kentucky's really the only other program that's ever done something like this, um, which is, you know, have these games broadcast on uh, national TV uh, and, and have people talking about it in August. But, like, hey, Auburn, like, you, you can talk about your team like your basketball team, like Kentucky talks about their basketball team because you have been better than them uh, over the last few years. Um, you're just as accomplished, if not more accomplished in some areas. Uh, and, you know, you're producing NBA draft picks. Like, you know, Auburn is a Auburn is a national brand. It's a powerhouse. Now, this is not a team that every year in and year out you're going to predict and be like top five, top ten in the country in the preseason. They don't have that kind of level yet. But in terms of like, hey, being fun and having a lot of talent and a lot of attention, Bruce Pearl, I mean, this is, this is peak Bruce Pearl. He's using his connections, you know, obviously in Israel, um, to get attention to this tour, obviously using his connections from his time at ESPN uh, to you know get the broadcasting in as well. But I mean, you got to have the product and you got to have the interest and you got to have the fan base to make it all happen. So um, yeah, it's special. I mean, this this kind of puts Auburn up there in a very rare collection of teams that could ever say they do this. And honestly, it's just them and Kentucky in terms of these foreign games being televised. So it's a rare opportunity, and Auburn needs to you know I think Auburn's going to take full advantage of. It. Justin, I know we you know we still got months till the season starts. This is one game, but I want to take a look. You know, one of the big issues that a lot of people were you know pointing to coming into this year is how the the Tigers would adjust losing a defensive force like Walker Kessler. What were your thoughts of the Tigers on the defensive side of the ball today? I thought they did a really good job. I mean, you knew Israel wasn't going to be able to match up with you size wise, but they were going to shoot it and then they were going to run. As Bruce Pearl said, good stuff and um, get open looks from deep. I mean, that's just kind of their bread and butter. They are going to shoot uh, from three. It took them forever to hit a three-pointer uh, in this game. They shot less than 30% from the field for the whole game. They, they you know, it, it was just a really, really long drought from beyond the arc. They had to force really tough shots. Auburn did great on the defensive glass. They just you, you did what you were supposed to do, you know, in terms of like, hey, rim protection was great and rebounding was great because you're so much bigger and stronger than these guys. But I think being fundamentally sound with some new guys and some new things kind of changing up to try to, you know, take them out of their element was big. I thought the press got 
you know, and that's something that Auburn hasn't really done a ton of recently. Um, but they did a little bit more in this game. I thought the press got Israel out of rhythm a little bit. And, uh, yeah, when you're playing a team that you know is the only hope they have of making this game competitive is just firing away from deep. Uh, contesting threes and staying fundamentally sound on defense is the way to go. They had a few breakdowns in the second half. Israel got hot on a couple of stretches. But ultimately, I thought the defense was great. It's going to look different, but I think – you know, Treyor and, and uh, Janai Broom and, you know, the way Dylan Carwell played defense um, was big. thought Chance Westry and, and Katie Johnson were, and Jeff Jasper, as always, were just menaces in terms of, like, creating steals and creating opportunities that way. So, awesome defensive game uh, for Auburn. I mean, uh, Israel, you know, barely had anything going most of the game. Like I said, shot, shot below 30% and uh, was down by 40 or 50 most of the night. So, you know, that's, that, that's about as good as you can get. Two more opportunities for Auburn basketball on Sunday and Monday. Those will be very exciting to watch. Let, let's flip to uh, the impending fall camp now for football, Ferg. And, uh, of course, a couple weeks ago we, we had SEC media days. We heard from Brian Harson. Uh, just a real quick question on that. Uh, we, we've asked it of, of a couple other people. But just what did you make of kind of his opening comments in particular uh, in that main media area? And just in, any thoughts you had from uh, – uh, the Auburn contingency for media days. Yeah, no, I, I was surprised that Harson, um, you know, was as forthright about it as he was. Not, not that he was hiding from it or anything or expected that, but it's just that kind of that has been his style. Uh, and yet he came out kind of swinging. And you know, I think the attitude of Auburn, um, you know, throughout the the media days from the players and from Harson is kind of like, hey guys, we know you don't believe in us. We know there's a lot riding against us. Well, you know, we're not going to be picked to finish highly in the SEC and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, hey, we're going to prove you all wrong. We know what we're doing. We know we know the work we put in. We're rallying the troops, us against the world mentality. It's like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know what that's going to look like on the field this season, but like that is square one, what you have to do uh, if you're going to be a successful team and defy expectations. So I think the messaging of like, hey, we feel like we're further along as a team chemistry-wise and you know, technique, knowledge-wise, um, you know, culture-wise, as we were at this point last year, those are all the messages you want to hear right now. You got to actually go out and do it on the field, and there'll be time for that to, to prove it. But when you're just sitting around talking about the season to come, I thought that kind of unified message was a really good one because Auburn's going to have to have all hands on deck, everybody working together, everybody banded together for them to have any chance of making this a good year. Justin, uh, earlier today you put out an article on the Auburn Observer. Obviously, we don't want you to give away the whole article because we want people to go and subscribe and uh, read it. But you, you put out an article, the Auburn players you're watching closest during preseason practices. As we get started here, uh, first practice is Friday. Give us a couple of those names that you, you're looking forward to uh, uh, watching at practices. Well, you can read the first two, I believe. Uh, anybody can uh, log in and see, and see those. Um, so that's before the paywall kicks in. I'll just give you the first two. Uh, you know, right off the bat. I- I'm looking forward to seeing what Demari Austin can do. We've heard a ton about him uh, this offseason. You know, somebody's got to replace Sean Shivers as that third running back. And I know Shivers didn't play a ton in terms of touches, and they want to run this offense through Tank Bigger and Jarquez Hunter, but you need a third running back. And you also need a guy that can give you a little extra something, maybe a change of pace coming out of the backfield. You know, Sean Jackson could be that guy. Uh, Jordan Ingram could be that guy for sure. But Austin, you know, it's it's just easier to be a – true freshman uh, that contributes to running back than it probably is at any other position. I mean, it's just the, the most, most plug-and-play kind of spot on the field. Auburn's had two true freshmen play well these last two seasons at running back. Could Austin be the third? 
you know, you're not going to need him to do a ton. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to see what he does in fall camp because um, I think he's got a great game about him. Um, really smooth, talented uh, running back. And I think he's got the versatility to maybe carve out a role this year. And then the other one is Robbie Ashford. Look, we all think that Zach Calzada is probably your starter this season just because he seems like the favorite. And, you know, I wanted to go away from, like, the obvious names um, in that list that I did. Uh, Robbie Ashford, just the way he finished spring practices, um, you know, I, he's, he's the most intriguing option at quarterback because he's the most unknown option at quarterback, him and Holden Garner. But I think of the three guys you would expect to have a chance to win this job, he's the intrigue, right? He's tall. He's got a rocket arm. Um, you know, he, he runs better than any of these quarterbacks. Uh, he had a great A-day. Offensive MVP looked good. Uh, you know, I would if I was a betting person, I would probably bet on Zach Calzada to be Auburn's starting quarterback uh, in Week One against Mercer. But like, I think Ashford, if he plays well, could be a guy that could kind of be the wild card here. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Robbie Ashford play. Obviously, Calzada, a lot of the returning stars will get a ton of attention. But if you're looking for some people who can make a little noise that are a little further on the projected depth chart right now, I think Austin and Ashford are two guys as young backfield players that we haven't seen in a college game yet that are very, very intriguing. He's on Twitter at JFergusonAU. Check out the Auburn Observer. $6 a month or $60 a year. It's uh, my absolute favorite subscription. Enjoy listening to the podcasts that he puts out each and every week. Richard Johnson recently from Split Zone Duo was a really fun conversation uh, that Ferg had. So uh, let's continue talking about football, Ferg, as again, we're getting closer to fall camp. Later this week, we're going to get a chance to hear from both of the coordinators ahead of fall camp. Which one in particular are you more interested in hearing what they've got to lay out for Auburn this fall? I think it's Eric Kiesel just because offense has the more question marks. You know, we would expect Fair. Brian Hartson offense to kind of have the same kind of feel as they were from last season. But, like, what does he think of the quarterbacks? What does he think of his former position group, the wide receivers, offensive line and all that? Defensively, I think Jeff Schmetting is a very interesting guy. And, and maybe the thing that makes Schmetting so interesting is that his former position group that he was in charge of, inside linebacker, is the position group that's got the biggest question mark on defense right now because you lose to Kobe McClain, because you lose Chandler Wooden, and Owen Papo's coming off that injury. So, like, are they ready to roll? I really like Auburn's defense, um, just the defensive line, especially the edge rushers. I think the secondary is going to be pretty good this year. Just that inside linebacker spot. If those guys are ready to roll, I think Auburn could have a great defense this season. But it's the heart of the defense. Everything funnels through them. They lost a lot of production. They got a guy coming off of an injury. And they've got some unknown, you know, relatively unknown players that are going to have to play big roles this year. So that might be the biggest thing with the inside linebackers, with the defenses, is that, like, hey, are these inside linebackers ready to roll? And if they are, um, you know, I think Auburn's going to be a really good spot on defense. So, yeah, the intrigue's really on offense. I think every one of those, you know, position groups have some clear question marks heading into fall camp and uh, we'll see how all that comes together with them you ready to finally get some content to to write about and talk about ferg as opposed to all the off-season summer things that we've been doing lately yeah no i yeah it's it's a fun time of year um obviously the basketball uh here recently has helped out a lot with that um, but, yeah, just actual practice observations and talking to players and coaches again uh, on the record is, is a whole lot of fun. And uh, this is a fun time of year. Um, people get excited. And, you know, this has been a weird offseason for Auburn football. And I know there are some people out there listening who are not very sold on this coaching staff. Uh, they're not very sold on the direction of the program. Uh, they're fearing the worst, you know. They, they, uh, they, they've got a more gloomy outlook on the season. But I'll tell you this. 
Uh, and, I, and I understand where that where that comes from, and that pessimism comes from for real. Like I like I get where you're coming from, Auburn fans, on that one. Uh, but I will say, fall camp, the guys start getting out there to get closer and closer to the start of September. I think even the most jaded and better Auburn fans will kind of you know, warm up a little bit because it's impossible to resist that uh, during football season, and or it's right around the corner. What is it going to take for me to be the Auburn Observer Employee of the Month this football season? What is that going to take? What is that going to take from you? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I would think it would have to be like more regular bookings on this show, <laughs> um, considering I was out for like a month and a half. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for you to be to get it this month. I think um, you know you mentioned the month just uh, started. We had, we had we had yeah exactly we had Richard Johnson on. Um, you know, over the weekend, um, you know, last last week to end the month, that was a really really strong finish. Uh, but I will say, uh, our latest free podcast that anybody can listen to, uh, you can go to it um, anywhere you listen to podcast. To start yesterday, to start the month of August, we had Christian Clemente on from Auburn Undercover to tell yeah. you know, like really the straight uh, talk on Auburn football recruiting and like what's going on because Painter and I are frankly idiots on a lot of things but especially when it comes to recruiting um you know and and he did a phenomenal job I thought um you know on that so it's gonna be hard to beat it's gonna be hard to beat Clemente this this month I September it is yeah yeah you'll have to work hard for September um so yeah August is gonna be pretty hard to, to knock him off the top spot uh, your mentions will likely include some results from Thunder Chicken Softball a little bit later this evening. Here's the storyline for going into tonight. The Thunder Chickens, three games left in the regular season, and again, everybody qualifies for the playoffs. Right. We are 0-9 on the year. We're still trying our hardest to lose by single digits. Yep. And, man, we really have taken steps forward. 0-9, and, and we're playing a team that is 1-8. This yep. is our chance tonight this is your chance hopefully the weather will work out for you over here on my side of town right now it's, it's lightning's kind of coming and right. popping right now <laughs> a little bit of rain so hopefully that'll hold off but yeah, yeah i got to take advantage of this opportunity like look i'm not expecting miracles out there but just a competitive loss would be um Let's would do be it. A, 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 an advantage and so you know the the opportunity is right i feel i'm feeling a little bit you know what i'm usually very pessimistic about you guys chances but i think you do it tonight i think i think tonight's tonight if y'all actually get to play I think y'all are going to break that streak. Let's go. I love it. I love it, Ferg. This has been great as always. Thanks again for taking time to chat with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, okay? Absolutely. See you guys. All right. That's Justin Ferguson, our buddy with the Auburn Observer, joining us on the program. Tonight's the night. He said it right there. He thinks we can get it it's done. It's got to be tonight. It's got to be tonight. And then the other follow-up there. Life house. Yeah, I was say, you see, the thing about it is now that he's, he's said that, I bet you we don't get to play. No, we're going to Rain play. is dangerously close on I-85, but mm. so far it's staying away. Like, if you're listening to us in Tigertown, you're probably like, yeah, y'all ain't playing tonight. Tonight's tonight means two different things as well, right? That we get the win, but also, like, the only thing Ferg has ever wanted was for us to just lose by single digits. So, would that be... It's a low bar that we have yet to clear. Would that be a successful night, Ryan, if we lost by single digits? I'm going to say I'm going to... Yes, but also I want to be clear that it needs to be competitive single digits. like Not like a limp into a eight-run loss. This is the game we can win. We need to, at the very least, lose by like four runs. We need to have a chance to win the game several innings in. So I, I need it to be a competitive single digits. Now, 
look, anything is better than what we've been doing in SAR single digits. But, like, if if we can't realistically have a chance to win this game, then how can we expect to win any game this year or, or, or compete in any other games this year? We need this to be three, four, five run deficit. So sad, man. We just want to be great. I'm just saying, because we we're going to get toasted by Moe's Barbecue after that. Uh, we're going to get Smoked. barbecued by Moe's Barbecue. And so this is our opportunity for a good game tonight. Is Free bases is our first opponent a little bit later this evening. Hopefully we can get the job done. Our thanks again to Justin Ferguson for joining us on the program there. Always a great conversation. Again, thank you to Jason Reed, too, for joining us at the start of the hour. Enjoyed those remarks from him. We have reached the end of hour number two of Sports Call today. Alongside Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, my name is JJ Jackson. Two hours of the Bucks, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started today on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy. And it's been an awesome show so far, and it's going to continue here in this final hour. Coming up in just a moment, we are so thrilled that we're going to get the chance to catch up with Butch Thompson, the head baseball coach for your Auburn Tigers, as he talks about the newest changes coming to Plainsman Park. There are new seats coming to the area. He's got a new pitching coach joining his staff. The team just went to the College World Series. I mean, man, the time that he took out of his schedule to chat with us, we're so grateful for. And anytime you get the chance to catch up with a man like Butch Thompson, it's amazing. So we get to do that here in just a moment. As we move forward here in today's show, as we do each and every day on this Tuesday, let's give you a daily show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? 
Brooks, what's happened on today's show? Well, we've had some great calls today, especially from our good friend, uh, retired Ward M. Steve. He had a great call at the beginning of the show. We've also had a flurry of great guests today. We've talked to, uh, just got done talking to Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Reserver a, a few minutes ago. Uh, we just talked, or we talked in, earlier in that hour to Jason Reed from ESPN. He's got a new book out called Rise of the Black Quarterback. And uh, we're getting ready to talk to uh, the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers, Butch Thompson. So we've had a lot of great interviews, still another great interview to come uh, very, very shortly. We've also had a lot of Braves talk as the, the trade deadline is now coming past. Uh, five minutes ago, the trade deadline hit that 6 o'clock Eastern um, deadline, but there's still a few trades that are eking across the finish line that got done right at the very end. And so we'll, we'll see if the, you know, the the Mets and the Phillies, unfortunately for Braves fans, the Mets and the Phillies have been very, very active here at the trade deadline. And the Phillies, during that last break when we were uh, going, just got announced that they got uh, Noah Syndergaard from the Angels. So he's coming back to the NL East, and I'm sure not a lot of Braves fans want to hear that. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of great stuff to talk about, and we, we've talked about uh, numerous different things, and we still got another great hour of uh, sports content to go. I knew the trade deadline was something that I always loved growing up, and I knew that I would be destined to have a career talking sports when I became obsessed with Hot Stove Live as baseball got closer to the winter meetings. So that's something that, again, I'm, I'm just super excited about anytime that you've got all these changes taking place and that sort of thing. There's a young J.J. Jackson at one point that's racing home from school just so he can go to MLB.com on his computer and see what moves are going to be made in the winter meetings and imagine what it was like every year at the trade deadline when all these moves were taking place and that sort of thing brooks and i were were linking up to have the same thought because you said racing home from school and i think we both thought you were talking trade deadline to which we were both going to say but that's in july right so what what school were we doing um so yes hot stove always uh in the winter meetings as well um but trade line, it is something in the summer. I used to watch MLB Network for uh, for hours in the leading up to, and I used to I used to like make a sheet um, with trades. Like if Dad was sleeping that day because he had to go to work that night, I'd like write down all the trades to tell him about, and was like go in like order of importance type of thing. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's a, always a big deal, and it is not disappointed. At, Brooks told me this, so credit to Brooks Childress. This is where I got it from. I got it from Brooks Childress. He's right there. Um, only one team has not made uh, a transaction here, a trade in the last day, and it's the Colorado Rockies. Something else that just came across that um, really quickly, something that didn't happen that everyone thought was going to happen, the Cubs did not trade Contreras. Or Hap. Or Hap. Braves were linked After taking them out of the lineup multiple days in a row. Very interesting. We will see what that means moving forward. Talking about baseball, and we're going to continue doing that with Butch Thompson, our head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers. He's set to join us on Sports Call right after this. Tiger 95.9 FM. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. And we are so honored to go to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers, Butch Thompson, here with us. Coach, the month of August is here. And boy, oh boy, it's hard to keep up with all the news and headlines that your program is making. We're not even in baseball season, and it feels like new news is breaking each day about your program, Coach. Thanks for the time today. Absolutely. JJ, guys, it's just great to be with you. It's been a minute, and it has been busy. And I'm already trying to find a new slogan, right? I think it's going to be keep rolling. <laughs> I know uh, Auburn football has got watch, and I can't wait for Auburn football to get started. But I just I want this to keep rolling, you know, that momentum. I, I think last year when I started in August, this time about a year ago, I was thinking about SUNY Lee and, and, you know, everything going on. And can we take that momentum into the year and absolutely basketball and and the baseball program absolutely did that. And I just, I want to keep rolling and I want this to be an amazing year for us. But, you know, you want these short years as a baseball coach or these short summers, I guess I should say, where as soon as we get back from Omaha, things keep rolling and so many positive things. I think about the draft for sure, right? And I think about eight guys. It breaks my heart to lose some of these pieces because they're just amazing young men and you want to coach them forever. But all eight of our guys that are drafted that, that's going on into professional baseball, all eight, none of the eight were drafted out of high school or junior college. They were all drafted for the first time in this July draft that we just had. I think that speaks to development of, you know, I, I give a ton of credit to Gabe Gross, Carl Nunnemaker, Tim Hudson, you know, our strength coach, our trainer, our just we have an amazing staff. And I think development, you know, rules the day for this group and how they were all drafted for the first time. I, I think about these facility things that were mentioned last week, uh, coming online at Plainsman Park to stay up with our peers in our league. But the uniqueness of Plainsman Park, these additions are absolutely going to be amazing. And hopefully in the next couple of months we'll roll some things out. And then, you know, there's always staff changes. And, you know, we announced yesterday that I think most Auburn people uh, was able to see with Tim Hudson and going over to Lee Scott Academy to coach his son, Cade, um, his senior of high school, which is, again, Tim Hudson is such an amazing guy. He just continues to do admiral things, admiral things, and you know, going to do that for his son is incredible. And then, can you enhance the legacy? <laughs> you know, especially somebody that was on the Hall of Fame ballot and how good Tim Hudson was. But I think he did it. I think he he winds up pitching in Omaha. He winds up coaching in Omaha. He gets his Auburn degree. Yeah. Uh, he just continues to be uh, an amazing ambassador. Nobody's done more. No student athlete's done more for the university than Tim Hudson. And he put some work ethic in for three years. So I'm absolutely crushed to not be able to go to work with Tim every day like I have the last three years. But you know what? That's kind of how things happen. Sometimes you give up three runs in an inning and you still got to find a way to win. And I'm Again, I'm as crushed as I am about Tim. I'm bringing my college pitching coach uh, to Auburn to to be with our guys. To is an amazing teacher in Darren Schoenrock. He's been the head coach at Memphis the last 18 years and has been the pitching coach in our league at Kentucky, Georgia, Mississippi State. So things are happening every day. I know I get to. I'm, I'm up in Birmingham tonight and getting to talk to the greater Birmingham AU club and some, some donors and it just, it never ends, but that's a good thing. 
Butch Thompson's here with us, and you're right, just kind of going over everything that's happened since the season came to a close. It's it's crazy to know how much the program continues to move forward. Coach, tell me this. Obviously, the season ends with a trip to Omaha, which is just outstanding for the guys to be back there, and so many of your players are going to gain valuable experience going into next season with this. You're so good at staying in the moment, Coach, every time that we visit, but is there any way in which your life has changed since going to Omaha second time as the head coach of the Auburn Tigers? Ooh, that's a tough question. I, I I don't think so. I, you know, there's there's different pulls and tugs to make you try to do some different things, but uh, I, I love our blueprint for our program. I love everything that we do. Um, I think there's some personal things that can stretch you here or there, but uh, I just, uh, you know, we built this thing close to home plate. And I, I just I trying to do everything in my power to try to stay consistent with that. I, I, uh, I, I think we can taste winning a national championship now and we're still there's so much work to do. You know, checking that box of hosting a regional, we all, all think of Omaha, but checking that box of hosting a regional and then winning a regional, and we haven't had one since 2010. Um, I think that's that's huge. I just I want to continue to be a steward of the program. I don't want us to start thinking that we are have arrived. Um, I was disappointed with the end of this year. So for me, it was another failure because, man, we're supposed to we can win that thing. I just don't think Auburn's second to none. <laughs> and the more things, the more times we can be competitive in the postseason, um, the more times we can continue to get good players to our program you know we're gonna have some challenges in 2023 so jj as soon as you start having a great year like this and you start looking ahead it doesn't take a coach long to figure out now we got to replace this and that <laughs> and we're gonna have to hook it up again and, and come up with some pieces man i'm, I'm thankful that a nate larue who i think is gonna be the best catcher returning in the sec is coming back for another year uh, Bobby Pierce coming back in right field. Both of those men had an opportunity to begin their pro career. We could have had 10 drafted instead of eight. So I'm thankful those two really good players are coming back. And then Casey Howell, who's been one of the best. I mean, he started from day one, right? He's going to come back and wind up starting more games than anybody ever in an Auburn uniform. So I, I think we're good close to home plate. I think our biggest miss and our biggest challenge is on our in our program to continue to strive to to be competitive in the toughest amateur baseball league in the world is you know on the mound who's going to go with Joseph Gonzalez I think Tommy Sheehan coming back and going through this injury year and kind of starting to get back to form at the end of the year building a pitching staff starting with those two guys you know Burkhalter on the back end can chase Isabel grow into that role and can we stay competitive on the mound? Because I don't think we've lost any talent. But what we did lose is experience. And then, you know, the left side of that infield. You know, a Brody Moore, a Blake Rambush who led the SEC in hit. Um, got to come up with some new pieces. Three out of the four infield pieces got to be replaced. Uh, we have just as much talent. But the experience that we missed on the mound, man, that keeps you from starting to get the big head when you start looking to start putting this 23 team together but i tell you what we did do we got more of our frontline talent to school than we ever have it just seems like every year we're losing a second rounder a third right. rounder to the pro draft and we wound up getting a, a catcher in ike irish a chris stanfield and a right and left-handed pitcher hayden murphy being the right-hander and 
Zach Crotchfelt from New Jersey, the left-hander. We got four amazing kids to school, and they had to turn down a boatload of money, probably north of $3.5 million between those four in this draft, and they elected to come to school. And it was because the guys that left, they liked their style, they liked the culture, and they believed that they can wind up you know, better than themselves and come, in, come into school. So we got to invest in those four young players, and, you know, there's more. Uh, think of a Drew Nelson, you know, down from down in Troy, Alabama, that's won four state championships in a row. Can he be one of those freshman left-handers that's ready to, to pitch for us and take a significant role right away? But, um, yeah, nothing's changed. We just we keep our head down because the ultimate goal still hasn't been obtained. And so that, that keeps you chasing something, and I just want to keep rolling. Yeah, and, and cannot wait for that to happen. Butch Thompson's here with us, the head baseball coach for your Auburn Tigers. And I'm glad you brought up hosting an NCAA regional because you're right, not every program gets a chance to do that. And it had been so long since Plainsman Park got to be home for an NCAA regional. And, Coach, I think you're still probably scoring runs if we were to check in <laughs> on that regional right now. Man, what a weekend that was for your team. Yeah, and if we'd have kept scoring runs like that, you know, we probably won the <laughs> national championship. But, you know, the next week we went to Oregon State. That was their seventh seventh Super Regional to host, and they've never lost one. That was significant. It just happened to be 2,190 miles away. That was tough to, to feel how powerful of a three-game series to win. It was one of the best experiences for me in 30 years as a coach to win at Oregon State. So, uh you know, we wound up really getting the postseason kicked off with our offense, the pitching staff, and, you know, what a what a punctuation point put on the end of that Super Regional with Blake Burkhalter's performance for the ages, I'm telling you, to come in and retire all eight batters, a team that had never lost a Super Regional in their home park in a one-run game. I mean, he couldn't even give up swing and miss. When we dropped him in the ball game, I think his runners in the seventh inning were up four to three. <laughs> runners are at second, third. He can't even give up contact. That's how special eight up, eight down was for, for him as he produced swing and miss uh, because he could have been good that day and we still could have lost by two runs. What he wound up doing is in the biggest moment of his career having the best outing he's ever had in his life. So just just, just amazing. Amazing run for our guys. Beating the Stanford team, you know, the Pac-12 winner in Omaha was a great job. And I mean, we just needed one or two of our guys to get on autopilot on the mound. Zylus would have been one. Uh, but, you know, it wound up being Delucha for Ole Miss. And it got Ole Miss past us. It got Ole Miss past Arkansas and put them in position to win a cha- national championship, which they did. And, Coach, we're listening to you describe all the, the great things that happened this past year, but also all the great things in the works for this program. And you, you talk about momentum and and how much it's changed over the last year. Of course, you don't need to be reminded, but this team picked last in the SEC West. And what it went on to achieve, not only in the conference, but going into hosting its own regional and, and going to the College World Series for the second time in, in, in three years. And, and then also having all these players drafted – uh, going and keeping some of these players that could have left and not joined the recruiting class. I mean, there's such momentum in the program, and I think it would be so easy to, to pat yourself on the back for the season that it has, but it sounds like you're just so excited about the future. I mean, I mean, what goes into having this drive to continue to, to build off that momentum and not maybe not focus on the successes of the past, but use them as a tool to better the future? 
Yeah, that's great. Great, great thoughts. I, I just think it's the resiliency of a group of young people and coaches. I, I, for this season, I tried to give all our credit to our players and our coaches. They did an amazing job. We built them off of two principles and two principles only. It was self-confidence and no excuses. And I think that's good for a team coming off of being two games under 500. I thought personally I did a better job the year before. I don't know how that's going to resonate with all your listeners and <laughs> even with you guys, but I thought I did a better job because when you get hurt in the Southeastern Conference and we got banged up, we had the three or four foot injuries. They were bizarre. They were strange. The guys, after six or seven weeks, they were they were fine, but it just happened to be at the beginning and in the meat of SEC play, and it was the worst start first half I've ever been associated with in the SEC, but I, I thought we held the team together. And guys didn't run and hit the transfer portal. And we stuck it together with our culture. Orion Bliss was vital to showing up and playing every day. And you know what? I started to see it turn at the end of 21 where we won three of our last four SEC weekends and made our way to the SEC tournament. And I thought our success this year actually started the last month of SEC play in 21. We were just so we were so beat down and had been so banged up that we didn't get to see the the best of that team, but that team held it together. The roster stayed together, and we absolutely built it off saying self-confidence is the number one variable of human performance, no matter what anybody else says, and we're not going to make any excuses about our health and about you know anything else, because we would have never won at Oregon State this year when they made us go. 2,000 miles when we knew it was going to rain three of the nine innings every time you play. Uh, you're going to play a team that's never lost one. And then, hey, the NCAA will kick in and make you travel an hour and a half you know, from the field to your hotel room. So you're getting back every night after every game at 3 a.m. Central time. So if we hadn't built the team off excuses, if we hadn't stayed with our confidence when everybody on the outside had no confidence in us, um, Man, we, we, we couldn't change. So I give our players, our coaches a ton of credit. And I really thought, personally, you know, I did a much better job in 21 as a coach than I actually did this over. Like, you know, it's not like I had a, a speech there, first game of the regional, and said, hey, guys, if you guys will score 51 runs in these three games, we'll win. <laughs> it was uh, It was because they had hung in there, hung in there, been beat up, never quit, kept fighting. And they got built back up to a moment, and they made the most of it. It was tremendous. Coach, when you look back at this past season, you started off the year in Arlington, finished the year in Omaha. Was there a specific game, specific series that you taught you after the game, you looked at the team, you said, we could make it to back to Omaha this year? Yeah, whenever you go win a, win a series against Texas A&M, whenever you go and win, I think we had back-to-back weekends there. We won a series at Texas A&M and LSU. And, you know, Sonny couldn't get out. And I'm like, man, this little Rambush is a ball player. You know, this is a kind of kind of tempo to start a game and a battler like you need. And then I just, you know, Joseph Gonzalez, you could start seeing like, we didn't even see his full effect this year. Hopefully we see it next year. But um, USA Baseball saw it this summer with Joseph. Uh, you just started seeing pieces materialize. Bobby Pierce didn't even make the trip to Arlington. I remember talking to him because he's coming off the double knee surgery and like, Bob, you have to be patient. You're not making this trip. We can only take so many. 
as we're flying and, you know, all that stuff that goes with the logistics of traveling. And then he winds up getting in that lineup and staying in there every day and, and contributing. But uh, I have to go back to the Texas A&M and the LSU series kind of back-to-back early on because it was such an early, tough start for us in conference play last year or two years ago in 21. But to go grab two series on the road, against really good ball clubs and eventually wound up being really good ball clubs. I thought I thought that gave everybody. Everybody in the clubhouse started saying, man, we can kind of line up and compete with anybody off of those two weekends. And I, I think we carried some momentum from there. You talk about Texas A&M and LSU coach and the big series that that was for your team. Both of those programs have great game day atmospheres. The ballparks are intense to go in and play with. And as you said at the start of our conversation today, and as Auburn fans know at this point, big changes are coming to Plainsman Park in terms of seating upgrades and, and spots that we haven't seen seats before. Tell us what we need to know about these changes coming to your park to enhance the environment there at Plainsman Park. Yeah, being in the league, I just this was year twenty. So being in the league for two decades, it's like I, I wanted it as soon as I got here, right? right. So I wanted it year one as the coach of <laughs> what we're embarking on. So this has been banging a drum for a while, and I think it was actually two or three coaches before me. They all had a book and drawings and all these things they wanted to, to enhance this amazing Plainsman Park. But now it's not my idea anymore. You know, twenty we sold the park out this year. Coming off of 2021 and our fans not seeing us quit on that 21 season, those three of the last four weekends winning that SEC play, they stepped up to the plate. And our fans sold more season tickets before we played our first pitch this year than ever before. And at the end of this year, that was like a tip of the hat with with our coaches and players being able to tell our fans, thank you. And so at the end of the day, we have more people come to Plainsman Park come to those turnstiles this year than ever before. So now, you know, our fans, uh, our program, our leadership, it's like I, I think we're all in. I think we're aligned where everybody understands that it was amazing. Our students were amazing this year. Operation Atmosphere absolutely worked. Yep. And I think it's all collided at the same time. And, yeah, it's been a seven-year odyssey or a journey or a grind, whatever word you want to use. But I think it's all hit at one time to where it's like, man, we it's time for more. We are investing more. We're all in more. We believe more than ever. And I think it all just hit at the same time. And I'm, I think from every spoke in the wheel, that we've never been all in more than we are sitting here with us having this interview. And it is a beautiful thing. And that's why I say i got to keep rolling. And momentum, you're either trying to get it or keep it. And right now, there is no time to lay anything down. It's the time to double down on our program and believe in this program because at the end of the day, uh, we want to win a national championship that will never stop being our pursuit uh, because that should be any Auburn sports team. That should be the goal absolutely should be the goal for us but there's some legacy pieces of building a program and and leaving things better than you found them that i'm absolutely committed to and you have to understand we're me and my family have been so blessed from this experience but this is our way to continue to keep fighting and seeing a vision and now that vision is absolutely tangible right in front of us 
and it's time to double down on Auburn baseball and see if we can squeeze anything out of this juice that we've created. And I'm talking about everybody, our leadership, our fans, our students. I'm going to stay after every one of these spokes in the wheel for us to, to get what we want and envision out of this program. And I know you said there's still logistics that need to be worked out and everything, but just the idea that this is happening, Coach, I mean, I would imagine it's it's something as simple as going to your favorite spots around town and in the community. The idea that you could have seats added in left field, on the wall, or in right field, and, and getting outfield seats to the ballpark, that's just awesome. Yeah, nobody's going to have that, right? So all we did was put a hole in right center field, and look what our students did with that. <laughs> Imagine when we give that Fenway feature of seats on top of the monster. I mean, that's going to be fought over. That's going to be desired. You know, the nice batting cages we built, those were built with the intention of this second phase for this premium seating to go on top of there. And then, you know, I had two things with that everybody's just kind of rallied behind is down Donahue where it runs – you know, Donahue Drive runs parallel right there with the first base side of our stadium. You know, putting a nice three- or four-story building right there. Uh, man, it services Tiger Walk. When a 14-, 15-year-old takes that right turn at that red light on Donahue, and they're from Texas, and they've been playing travel ball and north of Atlanta, and they're passing through, when they take that right on Donahue, they're going to see a facade, and it's going to look like a major league stadium. And they're immediately going to be captured by this ballpark. And But we're also, we wanted a facade, and we want to generate and create revenue and opportunities and spaces for our fans to, you know, want to grab hold of that they've never had the opportunity before at Plainsman Park. And, yeah, you can tell I'm pretty excited about this. <laughs> and, and here's what's so interesting about this, Coach, and I'm curious your perspective on this. Just what does Butch Thompson enjoy about going to a baseball game to get folks out there? Because, Coach, your seat doesn't change in this, right? You're still in the dugout, and I would imagine you don't get very many opportunities at this stage of life to just go out and enjoy a baseball game. But truly in your heart – the baseball guy that you are, what do you enjoy about the atmosphere of being at a ballpark? Because, again, your seat doesn't change in all of this. Yeah, and I just think my point is I guess we can do everything at Auburn that we've been doing around this league, either at schools I've been at or other places. I think we can hook it up and do it here in this sport. And I do think we're in everything school. We're we're trying to build everything around here. Coach Harson let me talk to the football team last week. Yeah. That may be the highlight of my entire year. <laughs> is getting to stand before them. Nobody's ever asked me to speak to a football team in the SEC in you know over 20 years of being in this league. It was absolutely a highlight for me. So we all need each other. And I tell you what, I'm going to change that seat. I know we're, we're a lot of work to do and some planning, and hopefully we can get some photos and stuff out to our fans to excite them even more instead of just hearing us talk. But if we can start on this next June, right after the season, June of 23, and then really get some stuff going for that 24 season, it's going to be exciting. And I don't know if I can just sit there. I've been thrown out of a ball game once in 30 years. But I tell you what, I probably, I'm going to probably time it up with one of these umpires here and just say, hey, throw me out. Because <laughs> I want I, – I, I have an urge to where if I can get thrown out in the first inning, I figure I could maybe – go up in left field, maybe get Bruce to go with me, and we could do a couple innings in, in left field, the monster seats, and then go over to right field and finish on Donahue, maybe in the alumni suite. We have a vision of trying to bring everybody with us. So I want this to be an enhancement for our students, 
you know, our, our top donors and everywhere in between, from the ground floor to the top, I want everybody to have an elevated experience that they want to be part of. That's incredible. I've already got it. I've already got it planned to get. I don't might get in trouble for this, but I want to get thrown out in the first inning, and I want to take it. All this is done, and it'll be a great development for maybe Coach Gross and Coach Nunnemaker to get to coach the team one day, and uh, you know, and then be back in there. So I'll use it as an educational purposes, but I absolutely want to take in a game like that if I can. You've got to. I mean, how can you truly sell the seat, Coach, if you've never experienced it in a ball game before? <laughs> I think this is a great plan. You've got our support, however much that is worth. You've got our support in making this plan happen. All right, you're so kind with your time. Let's start to wrap with this. Uh, you mentioned you do have a change in your staff, uh, Coach Schoenrock coming in to be your pitching coach. How'd you sell him on Auburn? It wasn't hard. I just He was <laughs> in my wedding. He was my pitching coach. Uh, a great 18-year run at, at Memphis. Had three stops in our league in the SEC. If you saw some of the, the quotes, what they're saying about Coach Rock, I thought it was awesome. You know, Brandon Webb was the Cy Young award winner. You know, Jonathan Papelbon's not one that we got a quote from, but is another guy that got a bunch of saves in the big leagues that, that Coach Rock developed. Uh, Paul Mahollam was a 10-year major leaguer. Um, I just, uh, this is an experienced teacher. So, I absolutely think on the heels of Tim having an experienced teacher and somebody, again, that knows about the SDC is, is so important. So, I I'm thankful. You know, we really didn't allow this thing to get opened up. You saw the one-two punch in the in the release yesterday because I was so convicted that if I had a chance for to give our players a teacher like this with 38 years of experience in college baseball, I, if I can get him, if he's still got game in him after all these years, and I think he's still got game for a few. Now, he might outlast me here. Who knows, right? But you – you're like, this guy's got game, this guy's got experience, this guy's got everything that a young pitcher wants to have all his goals met in college and beyond. And he's got an unbelievable track record. And he's a man above reproach. Him and his wife, Carol, and those two boys, it's an amazing family. He's been doing it for a long time. He's got a lot of game left. And Tim Hudson's big shoes to fill. Because the man came to work every day, and he didn't work like he had played in the big league 17 years and that's the beauty of Tim Hudson. You can say what you want to about how good a pitcher he was or developed pitchers at Auburn. Nobody's giving back more. But I'm going to tell you, the biggest, the biggest thing to Tim Hudson is ability. When the sun comes up, the guy's on his feet, and the guy can absolutely focus longer than everybody else, and he puts in a day's work every time he's committed to it. So for him to have a three-year run, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, because he's all in. Whatever his hands touch, he's going to do it full speed. And like I said, he just does another power dad move of imagine all that stuff he's missed with his kids. And he's got two at Auburn now, and Cade going to be a senior. At least got for him to go over. It's just another power move for him. But we absolutely, um, you know, hope Tim will keep coming back as a lot of these guys he's, he's had a hand in. But I couldn't be more excited. Uh, I'm looking so forward to bringing in an experienced teacher like this. It's been so successful to be with our guys. 
Coach, let me close with one story. Butch Thompson's here, the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers. And I want to go back to this past season that just finished. Let's bring light once again to the story in case any our listeners get so crazed in football and the things that happen year-round and certainly the success on the field for your baseball program. But how in the world did your team become so obsessed with Bad News Bears this season? Tell us the story. <laughs> You know, I, the one thing I did different, J.J., was I always spoke to the team after the game. So, And you can see coaches all around our league. As soon as the game's over, handshakes or whatever's going on, then you see a team get together like in the dugout and right. you see the head coach speak to them. So, and, and we've done it. I did it my first six years. I just, uh, I'm like, there was too many times where if we hadn't won the game that, man, I was just making it worse, right? I hadn't had a real <laughs> chance to collect my thoughts. And whatever the next day got there, then I'd have to build them up a little bit. Or uh, the post game comments just became, you know, I wasn't as fired up about it. So I absolutely turned it over to my legacy members and um, those four guys. And I think Brody Moore is the one that really took the bull by the horns and became the leader. And so Brody would start getting them together after every game. I'm like, I'm not going to talk to them, I'll have better things to say and I'll get us moving better if I wait till tomorrow. Brody Moore filled in that gap. He's the one that come up with the bad news, and it absolutely spread, just like Sonny's walk-up song, just like uh, Rambush being a competitor, just like Joseph having that great sinker, and bad news just absolutely got around because it kind of has two, two connotations, two meanings, right? So it has one meaning like nobody thinks we're any good, you know, so it's the bad news bears. But that second piece is like, you don't want to play us because we're bad news. And, <laughs> you know, we never lost more than two games in a row. It was a pretty good team built with consistency because I don't think I've ever coached a team that had done that. I mean, they never had a losing streak, per se. That was a model of consistency. And you had to beat us. And you could. But our team was very consistent to where we just played the game well. Brody Moore had four errors at shortstop. When's the last? Has that ever happened in our program? Has that ever happened for an SEC team? Ever. I don't think people realize how good a year he had there. Sonny Deshera's year. And you just look across the board. Uh, Burkhalter's season. So I think bad news meant two things. It was like, all right, they think we're the bad news bears. But at the end of the day, it's bad news to play us. <laughs> and that, you know, it's more powerful sometimes when it comes from the players instead of from the coaches anyway. And I think it was something they created, and I think it was more powerful because it was their idea. Thank you for the time today, Coach. This has been outstanding. Football season's right around the corner, but before we know it, we'll be back at Plainsford Park in 2023, and we'll be chatting with you in the near future. Thanks again for joining us again on the show today, Coach. Can't wait, JJ. Ryan, good to see all you guys. War Eagle. War Eagle. That's Butch Thompson, and he's joining us here on Sports Call today. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Jeff Whitaker, Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
In all honesty, how are you not an Auburn baseball fan after that conversation that we just had with the head baseball coach of the Auburn Tigers, Butch Thompson? 30 minutes of his time that he spent with us today. And for that, we are oh so grateful. Talking about the future of this program, the successes of last year's team, making it all the way to the College World Series in Omaha, and then plans for the future. Like, if you don't walk away a fan of that man in that program, I don't know what to tell you. Again, incredible to chat with Coach Thompson. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, and you could just tell his passion for the program, his excitement for the future. I mean, that's one of the questions I was kind of getting at was, it would be really easy to look back on what you accomplished. You Auburn accomplished a lot, like period. Forget the fact that they were supposed to be uh, a, a, a bad team last year or projected to be seventh in the West. Like, they made the College World Series. They slammed people right out of their own regional. They got the most players they've ever gotten drafted in the MLB. And by the way, a shorter draft than it, what it used to be. It used yeah. to be like 40 rounds. It was only 20 now. Yep. It was still a lot. But the most players they've ever had drafted. It'd be really easy to just kind of sit back and say, well, that was good stuff, guys. Good stuff. No, it's all about parlaying that into the future and the new facilities um, or the new seats inside of Plainsman Park and the high school players they were able to keep after this draft cycle and just a lot of excitement and passion for the program. And just uh, not even just, hey, we're making changes to the ballpark and that sort of thing. How about walking away from that and hearing the number of times Butch Thompson himself said, we can win a national championship. Not we can, because we did win a game of the College World Series. That's what we expect to do now. And every athletic program at Auburn should have those expectations for themselves. But like he operates his day. He wakes up every day expecting Auburn will be the last team standing and will be celebrating a national title in baseball. Yeah, that's an important part of the mindset, I, I would think, to you know, n- not not be satisfied with just getting there wanting to continue to improve and and get the whole thing done and you're right if you're an sec program and you're able to make the college world series why not those couple of extra wins so auburn's been close now a couple of times and you heard it as you just said butch thompson expects it to be done one day hopefully Hopefully it can be done for Butch Thompson and this Auburn baseball program. I've got full faith in them. Again, thanks to Coach Thompson for joining us here on Sports Call today. J.J. Jackson with Ryan and Brooks as we wind down our show. Let's give you a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Our nightly TV guide is brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Heart Seltzer. Brooks Childress? Yes. What is on television tonight? Let, you know, we talk about... you get into the summer in june and july it's kind of kind of slow in the in the tv world or the sports world at least it it really hasn't been this summer there's been a lot of stuff we're now getting into like really slow stuff right before the football season kicks in so we got a lot of movies for you tonight six o'clock on tnt gal gadot stars in wonder woman great all right film. great film. hey one of the very few things dc's done correctly yeah Congrats look at that to them. uh six o'clock on showtime one of my favorite actors of all time harrison ford stars in raiders of the lost ark indiana jones i need to see that <sighs> We, I, we've had this discussion we before. Have, I'm not going to get that upset. I'm reminding people I still need to see it. 
Uh, if you're more of a Marvel fan, we gave you a DC pick. Marvel tonight, 6.30 on FX. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pratt stars as Star-Lord in that one. Phenomenal. Is, in a, is it just me, or is that one of the most played Marvel movies on TV? It is. That and the Thor movies are always on. I saw in the newest phase for... Mar- Marvel, Marvel plans uh, that there's going to be a new Guardians of the Galaxy, there is. which is awesome. So. And there's also going to be... Rocket's awesome. There's also going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special at some point. It's going to be on Disney+, Plus, I believe. Well, that's something. And then at 6.42 p.m. on Stars, I think JJ's seen this one, but not sure. It's The Bourne Legacy. 100% all right. seen all of them. This is, I very much so endorse Jason was, Bourne products and Matt said, Damon. This was not the Matt Damon one. This is the one with... Um, uh, who was Jeremy Renner? Yeah, Jeremy Renner was the star. Of How this did one. I do that? Look at you! That's incredible! <laughs> wow! That is few and far between. We I mean, that never happens. Pull that together. Your sports picks for the evening, as I said, very lack on sports tonight. Six twenty on Bally Sports South. The Braves are back in action tonight as they take on the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies very busy the trade deadline, so missing a few pieces, but also are getting some few pieces in that you won't see those tonight probably though. Uh, Seven o'clock on ESPN. The basketball tournament wraps up with the championship game tonight as Americana for Autism takes on Blue Collar U. That's on ESPN at 7 o'clock. And then your late action tonight at 8.30 on TBS. Two teams in the NL West battling it out. It's the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Also two teams that made some moves at the deadline uh, coming up tonight at 8.30. At and that is a look at your nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends at Coca-Cola. And White Claw Hard Seltzer. That's right. Here we are podcast on this is Tuesday. Coca-Cola. The podcast is sponsored by Coca-Cola. If you missed any of the show, the podcast is where you need to go for that. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Alongside Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, my name is J.J. Jackson. Thank you again to Butch Thompson, Jason Reed, and Justin Ferguson for being on today's show. Back at it tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Until then, thank you and good day.